Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Inevitable Podcast. Today we're going to have the pleasure uh, to be speaking with Gabriel Engel, the founder and CEO of Rocket Chat, a company that I've had the honor of uh, partnering with a few times, and uh, someone that's uh, is a very special person. The conversation was uh, was a long one um, and quite interesting. We talked about uh, you know Gabriel as a father. Gabriel as a, as a leader, Gabriel as the CEO to learn how to raise a $19 million Series A, you know, all the aspects of how his uh, father mentored him to become the founder that he is, the importance of open source as a go-to market strategy, and all the typical, you know, struggles that uh, you would expect that an early stage CEO would go through as he builds his own uh, open source messaging empire. Uh, I had a wonderful time and uh, hope that you enjoyed the episode as well. Thanks for tuning in the Inevitable Podcast. Always a pleasure to have you here. Uh, first and foremost, man, I appreciate, Gabriel, you taking the time uh, to be here with us today. Uh, this is a, you know, it's a different format um, where instead of taking that traditional, typical business scripted podcast, we... We actually do have, you know, somewhat of a script and, and some research that we do, but it's also very um, unscripted and, uh, and and we tend to, you know, ultimately go deep into into certain other areas of, uh, of what makes you a founder, what makes you, an, you know, an inevitable person that has been, you know, pursuing this mission uh, for, for for a long time. So, uh, you know, often, oftentimes I always like to, to start just learning more about, like, how was your childhood? How did you, you know, where you you grew up, and um, and basically the beginning of 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 your journey. You know, how was Gabriel as a kid? Cool, that's awesome. Uh, uh, Gabriel was the uh, the kid. that was um, when people would ask me what I wanted to be was always the inventor, inventor. I always said oh, I was going to be not not exactly a scientist, but someone that was going to come up with something. Uh, because like every time we we had a, a, a we, we meet the, the the cousins or the siblings or like on any group trying to come up with what you're going to play or what you're going to do uh, like I was like coming up with what would be the game and coming up with a different game or coming up with a different uh, something to do and uh, I always had like boxes and boxes of Lego and all these other kits to build stuff so I always said that I was going wanted to to build something. Uh, was an inventor. Uh, so my family thought they were going to either be a physicist or engineering or or something like that. And that's what I believed for, for the longest time there was going to be uh, maybe do an engineering and then build machines. Uh, what happened is that once I've uh, uh, got an experience with software and I see, I realized that you could build stuff on the virtual world, uh, it sounded a lot easier uh, to experiment and try different things, uh, to build something virtual, than actually having to to build a factory. Probably, I still have a lot of fun and, and like building physical things when I have a chance. Like I build the the, the furniture for my last part, my previous apartment, and I build uh, uh, toys for my kids. And I still like like using using hands to build stuff. But it felt that building digital products uh, would be easier to experiment, and they end up, end up like deciding to go that path. Um, I thought it was maybe 
a, a, a smaller barrier for competition in building software than in building hardware or right like i think they, they, it, it's more of a playing field everybody start if you want to compete in building a software everybody has to get the same like laptop and you have access to like cloud uh, resources and stuff and and uh, you, you can be as creative as, as as anyone else maybe if you're building something physical you don't have the lab or you don't have this or you don't have the equipment or you don't have the the material uh so that's what i liked about about building software <laughs> but uh, that's, that's yeah true. so well, as a, I, that was it, me as a kid <laughs> and i think it also runs in the family you know having had the privilege of spending time with uh with your family you know and tasting your dad's beer uh i can see <laughs> that uh that you know he's also aside from him having an excellent uh, music taste as well you know uh just uh he makes great beer so was it always always like that with your with your father what was your relationship with him and was he always building things around the house i know that when you got into college right you started actually working for his company and then that's what was basically your first uh more formal entrepreneurial role uh of sorts yeah so i think from from the very early days i've uh, uh my father he, he we have a, a we are from a, a family of entrepreneurs like my my grandfather i think probably was my very first inspiration and he had an interesting story like he came as a, as a small child from europe uh, uh uh just before the war they didn't like what was going on in, in germany so it was a family of a family of germans that were living in siberia they had to run away from Germany and we're all going to US, but my great grandmother couldn't board the ship to US because there was a medical exam and she failed because of some infection in her eyes. And then she tried, they just, they said like, okay, we are in the port, we're not going home. Let's find the next ship that doesn't have a medical exam. And then they found a, a, a ship that was going to Brazil, right? <laughs> no COVID test like, yeah. on the ship. No, just no, and there was no exams whatsoever. Everybody's, everybody welcome. So that's how they ended up in Brazil. It was a, a coincidence that it was the only ship that didn't have medical exam. And then they, they, they came on board. But anyway, so he came early, uh, was a very humble family. He uh, got a, got a, a, a into a course to be a mechanical, not a mechanical engineer, was like operator of a, of a specific machine, tor, uh, uh, say Tornero Mechanico. Uh, uh, trying to remember huh. what uh, is the, the translation for that well, thing that it spins a piece of uh, a metal. metal yeah, just to work on the assembly line of like factories yeah. and, and so forth, yes. We, we, which for them was like this massive upgrade, right? Was this really, wow, he's going to be the first in the family that actually like has a, uh, uh, some sort of uh, education and 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 is uh, uh, working on a factory, so they, he was going to be able to help with his whole family. They were all looking forward for it. So he joins the company, and then at the same day or like the same week, uh, uh, an older guy is retiring, like he's leaving the. And then he he asks the guy, so um, yeah, you're, you're retiring. How is your career? Blah blah blah. So how how much money you're making now? That you're retiring. And the guy was making like 30% more. So his realization was like, what? So I'm going to work all my life to maybe move 30% up 
in the in the letter like uh, to be able to that's all i'm gonna that's the spectrum the range that i'm gonna have to deal so he quits on the next day so like no this is i cannot handle it uh object and my great grandfather was not happy about it so he actually got a, a good um uh, how do you say like a, uh, uh um Matunda. <laughs> Good, like a moral spanking, I guess. Well, not, 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 not as moral. More like proper, like physical. Oh, physical! <laughs> I see. Well, that was that, that was the beginning of the. That was last century, man. So, so things were yes. so, full stack <laughs> lesson there. Full stack lesson there, but then he went. He said <laughs> that he waited to. He went to work on a on a store for uh, car parts, but because he got the promise that he could start with a, a delivery boy and then working up uh so and that's what he did he he started as a delivery boy did a, a really good job then was like became a salesman and then a manager and then he was the manager of like the the, the, uh, the whole sales team the, the one guy passed away left the company and then he started dealing with the buying the purchasing department as well the next thing you know he became a partner and like when all deserve like to actually become the bought the store back from the from the owner because in some point he was about to leave so like okay there's there's nowhere to go uh, uh, unless buying uh, so I'm leaving the store and the owner said like okay no 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 like I don't want you to go to a competitor or, or buy start a competition like just just buy my store and and, and keep it I I don't want to run it without you so, it's pure so and he loved to tell the story when we were kids right uh and i think maybe i don't know how many how much fantasy it's around what he was trying to achieve in telling us this story uh uh i i think it's probably like 80 percent <laughs> uh true or, or 90 because he was a very serious serious like man i think that's the kind of story that i i've listened when i was growing up it was about how uh um and the, he had a saying that that uh uh there's a caveat, but it, but it was he would say, uh, if you work too much, you don't have time to make money, in the sense that if if you just have a job that doesn't allow you to think, that if just like laboring, right, you can, you can work uh, uh, eight to, to 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 eight like twelve hours a day, and maybe if you're just a, 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 a an assembly line, you're gonna be hard working, like you're gonna be working your ass out. Uh, uh, but it's going to be a very small room for you to improve or, or, or thinking about how to, to really uh, evolve and succeed. So he used to think that any kind of work that you have to do, it, it needs to be make room for thinking, for, for, for you to, to, to think about different ways and to evolve. So that's what he meant about like, you need, if you don't work too much, that you don't have time to make money. That's great. Well, I think that that's also, um, I mean, it goes through that same, so many people have talked about this, but I think that the most uh, modern version of it is probably like how um, Naval summarized it, that like you can't get rich by sell, by selling your time, right? Yeah. That uh, ultimately, uh, we all have to be owners of a business uh, to a degree, either directly or indirectly, and um, and you need to find leverage in your life. Yeah. Uh, so um, oftentimes it's only worth selling your time if you're learning something pretty aggressively. And I think um, both of us have been in that situation. But then, yes. you know, you um, you decided to study business in college, right? 
yes, that that was the whole thing when I when I realized that I wanted to invent something. Uh, then software seemed to be the easiest way to invent something. But then the the next realization was anything that you invent that can be remotely successful, you're gonna have a a, a business behind. Uh, and I think I realized this when I heard the whole story about uh, General Electrics, right? And I think I was at, at school when I I I remember if I read on a, on a on a on a magazine about business or or. I was looking to maybe National Geographic or something. And it was the first time that I learned that Thomas Edison was the founder of General Electric. That the whole purpose of General Electric was to, to sell the light bulbs and the stuff that he created. Uh, and then he was even more than, a, than, a, than an inventor. Uh, he had a, a whole bunch of scientists working uh, for him. He had like Nikola Tesla helping him out for some time until they split off and and then you start thinking okay but that that was like a businessman sort of thing like as like a, a hire, hiring talents and geniuses to to work with him um to to then having investors to fund his idea and his labs and 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 i feel that sometimes when you're learning about the story for a lot of these inventions the entrepreneurial side of that invention it, for some reason, it, it's left off. It's left out of the story, right? Like, oh, you just think, oh, who invented the light bulb? And then say, okay, Thomas Edison. And it's like, oh. And then you have a picture of an inventor working alone on a lab and coming up with the idea. And then you don't know what happened before that or after or if he was a lonely guy, a lonely, alone uh, uh, inventor. And then we realized, no, 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 no. This was a, a serious business. He actually got money he, he, he did the promise that he was going to come with the lamp in in x amount of time they had delays he had to fire people have to hire people ask for more money then there was like getting creating the company he didn't manage the company well so he got fired from the board <laughs> like they removed his name and then it used to be thomas edson general electric and became just general electric because he he, he got to a point where he they, they he removed him and then you you when you look on the present and think, okay, that's you, you can see Steve Jobs and, and Apple, and then he got like fired from Apple, and like although he had all the initial idea, there was like a a bunch of uh, engineers that were hired and so on. So I think that's what made me realize I need to learn the business side uh, just as as importantly than I can learn how to code. And learn how to code seems a lot easier to learn in the internet and to read a book then it it seems to to run to uh, harder to learn how to run a business so that that was my mentality in choosing let me do business management uh, at, at university because the software part I'll, I'll learn it in the internet wow interesting huh very conscious um decision and you know oftentimes i i think that i was reading um i think it was a week ago or something that the only big tech company that's uh, publicly traded that continues to have a founder that is still the CEO is Facebook and I think that uh, you know he has a lot of problems um, you know like no other founder wants to work with him right like uh, uh, but uh, with, 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 with Zuckerberg you know it was Instagram WhatsApp I mean uh, typically those two acquisitions saved that company but yep. uh, it's surprising that uh, you know, Amazon was also one of the last ones, and now, right, like, you know, he isn't there anymore. But in general, uh, I think that uh, 
all these companies the CEOs left once they got into what like you know Peter Thiel would consider the uncreative part of it right that's basically kind of like you know say Google already just got you lazy you know all they do is make money with ads or, or Facebook although he's also on the board there and so forth but uh, there's nothing like a f- company that's led by the founders but I think that what you're talking about is very important you're having the consciousness that but it's also as the business grows you have to also up your game and your skills because a company with 10 people is very different than with 30 than 50 than 100 and that requires a different level of like organization and systematic leadership and so forth so um interesting and, and and even the university cannot obviously cannot prepare you for that as i'm finding out <laughs> there is, there is, I uh, the college i mean it's, it's, i think it doesn't prepare you for a lot of real th- i mean it helps you understand a bunch of problems in life as becoming the becoming of an adult but uh, but you know when it comes to doing i think what we do is is a little bit different so uh but you know you started basically uh i I, I wanted to go way back then. So, you know, in 98, you created this company called Agro, which was basically ah, a, a portal for like that, the That was the business. company that I started to work with my, with my, with my dad. Um, so I've, he had a software development, uh, 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 the software development company where I, I, I grew up and I made friends with the developers and I was always like playing with the computers. Uh, and then by the time I was, uh, uh, actually understanding how to program and became like more of a teenager, they got into a, 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 an opportunity to build uh, this portal for for agricultural uh, business, right? To trade uh, goods and uh, and it would become, it would be the official uh, agri portal for for the, 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 the syndicate, the Farsu, which is like the syndicate of the farmers, uh, here in the south of Brazil, which is like a, a big thing, but uh, non all the developers at that company they were using .NET or even like FoxPro, I think was the the language at the time. It was a, it was a micro a language from Microsoft that probably dead right now <laughs> by now, but uh, they that's what they're using and everything. Uh, no internet, nothing related to the internet, so they would have to ask someone to learn how to program a website. And I was the first, the one that raised a hand and said, "Well, I, I, I don't know many of the other languages yet, so I might as well just start with this one. I can build a website if you guys want." Um, then they said, "Yeah, okay, you have a buy a, go, They bought me the PHP uh, uh, book and my SQL, so I started to, to learn, and I ended up developing the the portal. And I always liked design, so I, I made made the, the 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 design of the portal and ended up being quite successful uh, in the sense they called the attention for one of the major companies here in South Brazil, it's uh, uh, RBS. Yeah, no, the, you guys the sold the company, right? So it's amazing yeah. that so, like, the, you're, it was, you already it was a bit had of an exit on your first, this is rare. <laughs> the typical stories of that, that, that we hear uh, in the podcast, uh, uh, it's, you know, often it's basically like, oh, I tried this and it didn't really work. Then I tried that and then I tried that other thing. And then, you know, only after my, I don't know, fifth, sixth attempt. So you already had an exit on the, the, on, on the first one. So that was, uh, yeah, no, it was, cool. it was fun. But, uh, but the, 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 the flip side was because my father was, was running a, a different business, uh, the, 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 construction business of the family 
because my grandfather passed away. So he had to step in uh, to run that business, which was like, was a larger company and, uh, uh, and more responsibility. So he told me like, okay, you can, I'll give you my share of the software business uh, uh, or, or a big share so you can run, you become like run that company yourself. So I was excited that maybe I was going to become a partner. Uh, uh, and then just before the project became so successful and everything happened so fast that he sold the business uh, before before I could actually get any any stake or any vesting on whatever would be my 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 participation, um, and I could I got the option. They said like, do you want to go and work for RBS or become? this like no no I'll I'll I'm I'm good. I'm gonna start something else, and then I that's where I started to start a uh, a software development company of my own with my classmates. Excellent. Um, well, but still, I do think that there is a big um, influence in our childhoods when you are the son of um, or the daughter of entrepreneurs. Um, I grew up that way as well. My parents had a video production company uh, and uh, even went through like an interesting experience because, you know, they got a divorce and opened up competitive businesses. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a... That's another level of... That must make things more competitive, let's say. Yeah, that was a doozy. But um, the, um, you know, I was chatting with... uh, Actually, everyone that we've interviewed here so far for this podcast is the son of... Of, of, of entrepreneurs that, that start from nothing uh, which is interesting because when you grow up with your parents not necessarily having a traditional career you kind of think that that's the norm but it's not yeah <laughs> and then uh, I don't know how much that impacted you but for me at least it was it was crucial because I would see them work nights and weekends and I always thought that that was the normal way to live your life it's actually it, it makes your you, I think you 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 your expectations of what is the normal of what you're doing become aligned to what you see your 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 parents doing. So the fact that I could see my grandfather, my mother, my father all like taking those risks and sometimes working around the clock and and trying something at the, uh, things and and it, it became. Uh, um, the norm for me and and for my 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 brother so my brother also started a started a business my other brother started a business it became something very common in my whole family that we take from all the way from my grandfather to my my cousins and everybody kind of they your image of a grown-up is is almost like okay what, what are you going to do when you when you get older i'm going to start this kind of i'm going to do start this business or do that so it's usually even my my cousin which was a lawyer ended up opening a restaurant like because she wanted to have have her own business right like there was always people end up like building something well so i i must say that the entire community is waiting for the angle brewery uh that is for sure <laughs> because your father makes a, a beer that tastes exactly <laughs> Like the uh, Anchor Steam, uh, which is you know my favorite beer in San Francisco, and it's a San Francisco beer, which you know, it's uh, I was uh, so surprised uh, and uh, 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 delightfully surprised. Yeah, um, and, and so you have to, you have to thank also uh, me and my brother because my father, we gave him as a as a as a Christmas present or as a birthday present because he uh, uh, thought it would be cool for him to start a hobby, uh, another one. And then we gave him a little bit of the, the, the I think it was the, the main present, giving 
just a kit as a starter kit and a course. Uh, we never expected him to go so deep into it and get so so involved. So he has uh, 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 in his personality that he he gets into things and go very deep uh, into them. Even if they are hobbies, they're gonna he's gonna not just do this for fun. He usually go and pass the the hobby line and almost get it done to a professional level in some ways. It was the same with like building furnitures. Uh, he was curious about like, oh, how hard can it be like to put the wardrobe together or something? And then he went to do like a course and then he, he find, found that it was cool about all the machinery. And then I think we know he got some uh, a team of people to excavate uh, uh, underground floor underneath his house so he could actually build a, 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 a full-scale professional uh, uh, just a little machine. hobby you know yeah and then i was like what are you doing and because the house was already built on top you could not use like big trucks or something so guys with shovel uh, excavating like a mine and putting the the the, the stack so it could hold the house on the top uh it was like just so he could put all the machines that he bought so he could build more furniture and on the end it was really good i built then when i got my apartment I've uh, used it to, and, and he taught me how to build a lot of the furniture that I had in my, my apartment. So the same thing happened when he got him the, the, the brewery. The, he, got, he, he started and he like, took it to the next level. And then you visited. He built a part of the house where he actually get the whole uh, brewery. With, like, he, I bought uh, more uh, IoT devices like, to build, to automate as much as he could and, and measure because so yeah, he 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 doesn't know how to just to play for fun. He needs to take it to always a, a professional level. I love it. Well, I think that that's also another important characteristic of inevitable founders is that you know oftentimes um, folks like you are, are just very intense about everything. You know, it's just it's, and then um, it's a very common trait I see between the best uh, CEOs I've I've partnered with or 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 have you know interacted with. It's like, uh, you know, I don't know, we're traveling together. You, we want to eat steak. Or so, okay, so find the best, you know, grass-fed <laughs> A5 Wagyu steak that, you know, grew up listening to Vivaldi or then, you know. But anyway, hey, you want to play ping pong? It's going to be the most, like, you know. And, and I think that that's, uh, that's uh, it's interesting. And it, 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 it there's a portion of it that I do believe comes uh, naturally, but there is also another portion that it's certainly, you know, you can't overlook the fact that you grew up with someone that was always uh, operating with that framework for life across across everything, which is which is which is really good, uh, and you know so but but continuing on you learning how to be a founder right like in all these like different initiatives and having this generating force so you guys sold it and then you started um, with other friends from college this company called uh, Intelliman which was basically a, a like a, a software house is that right yes. Pretty much. It, it, I was interesting, lucky enough that I've met uh, a colleague at, at the university and he had a very similar story to mine. Like he also were, was actually learning how to code because his father had a company that uh, was called Nutecnet. Uh, it became big uh, in Brazil because then they, they, they turned into ZAS, which was the biggest ISP, and then it turned into Terra. So uh, they were the, the guys who were running Terra uh, in, in Brazil. Um, and uh, his, his, so his dad 
had an even more interesting business model. He would have an office in San Francisco, uh, hire developers in San Francisco and learn new technology uh, uh, from Silicon Valley, and then it would bring that technology to Brazil and sell to banks. So that's why they were one of the first ISPs, uh, because they thought it was going on with the internet in the US and San Francisco, and so they brought it. They were the guys bringing it to Brazil. That, like, today, this wouldn't work because things just move so fast. <laughs> yes, uh, but at that time, there was no internet, obviously. Yeah, well, they, <laughs> <It> was, were, <laughs> they were. They were seeing it. the creation of the internet. Yeah. So there was a lag between Brazil and some in, in US, which is much broader. But the cool, the interesting thing, there was he, uh, the guy who invented PHP, uh, Hasmus Lierdorf. He was a, a, an employee at his company. Uh, so so my my classmate, like my friend uh, Eugenio, used to say like he learned PHP with the the inventor of PHP. Uh, so he did the same thing. He saw his father, which was a, had a degree in, in, in engineering, became a software builder, hugely successful uh, software company. Uh, but his father became much more of a like a business person. So when he decided what to do for university, he said, like, "Well, my father is an engineer, but very short after the big the software the the, the company got successful, he had to to learn business. So he went to do business school." And that's where we met. Like we both had the same idea that, that we had fathers running software companies, and they say like, let's learn how to run a business rather than learn how to code. Uh, and then we started a business together. Interesting. Yeah. When you you've touched on a point that um, where we're talking about time arbitrage of uh, of information, and how it's interesting that. I think we've seen in the last five years how much that has gone away where I where someone launches a feature somewhere along the world and because we are so decentralized but all connected at the same time for the first time ever that velocity um, and I think you start seeing that on like what, what arrives in your inbox and then you know ultimately the the right pulse I would say for What's truly happening in innovation would be maybe the Y Combinator's uh, demo day. And now you go there, you see companies from all over the world solving the same problem. And if it's a tech-enabled thing with an offline component, you have the version of that for Africa, the version of that for Latin America and North America. And it wasn't the case that way uh, even even um, even two years ago. But that level of arbitrage is a, is a I love good arbitrages as a as a good investor. I'd say is very very powerful because there were there were times where you could have it could be years ahead of people. Uh, yeah. So so um, so that's uh, that's 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 interesting. And you were there for a few years. Then you graduated, and there was a time you moved to London, right? Like how was that transition? Why London? Uh, wh what happened there? So uh, as we grew. The, the 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 software company and be, and Brazil kept going through like this crisis and economics like ups and downs it became very clear to me that to have something that would be scale and successful and 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 have any any level of stability it needed to cross the border of Brazil and be something international uh, especially while we had this early experience where uh, it was also my early experience with open source as a, as a provider because the, we, we, we had a big project and there was a, a 
component of the project was this editor uh, in the browser, like uh, let's say an early version of Google Docs, very early version of Google Docs. And then we 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 decided to make that open source because we couldn't find any good uh, in-browsing editing tool. Uh, and we opened, there was no GitHub, so there was like SearchForge at the time. We published it, people started translating to every language, like started to, to contribute. And more interesting, some companies from Silicon Valley started to contact us trying to hire our software development company in Brazil because they've seen what we've built, the JavaScript, the quality of the JavaScript code and what we've published on, on, on SearchForge. And I, and I was like, uh, yeah, some guys came to Brazil, came to Virtual Agri, hired us, and we started to make money in US dollars. And for a very small company, with like some classmates at school, at the university started to make sell products in the, in US dollars. It was like a huge thing. And then I was I was thinking, wow, uh, Brazil was going to a crisis, but we were selling outside, we were, so we were doing great. And he started to think we should do, do, actually be this should be our target. We should aim to have customers all over the world. Uh, so I told my classmates, as soon as I got I get my degree. I will move to somewhere and open an office, uh, like a sales a sales office somewhere. Maybe some people would say maybe the, the 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 one of the obvious choice could have been go to San Francisco, but I thought it would be harder to go and compete in San Francisco, right? Or, and and selling something. And and I always had a, a dream of uh, uh, getting to know the old world, like the, the Europe uh, attracted me more, like on the cultural level. Uh, and I wanted to see and live there for a while. So I decided I was going to go to US and live in California for maybe two, three months uh, just to see, get some contact and then move to, to, to Europe. And then London is where I had most of my friends living at the time. Oh, but you uh, did spend a few months in, in California? Yes. I didn't in know in that. San Diego, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, great That's Mexican why it's not really. <laughs> bio, biotech companies, there's a Qualcomm, but yeah, no, send, no, no, it's not. The same. Uh, <laughs> it was more, more actually, it was because I just had my degree. I could then, uh, it was starting my life as a remote worker. Uh, so back in like 2003, that was when I went into remote work mode. Parties are better. In San Diego, <laughs> then in San Francisco. If you know. my my brother was surfing every day, I was living uh, everything like so. It was a uh, 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 living the California uh, uh, style. Uh, at least the the, um, the dream, like what is the, the 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 not the real one because people work a lot, but the vision that would uh, the I'm going to say the uh, idealized California, uh, well, California there are lifestyle. 39 million people in California. So I would say that, you know, there are so many Californians inside California. Um, oh, yeah. But, right. So but uh, but then and the San Diego one is very different than the one in Napa. That's different than the one in L.A. That's different than the one in San Diego or Sacramento or, or San Francisco. So um, but definitely San Diego is not Silicon Valley. Having been there a few times, it's uh, it's nice. Um, don't get me wrong. Uh, it's close to Mexico. Uh, you know, you can. Do I did go party in Tijuana once. <laughs> exactly. So you know, <laughs> you can uh, you can cross the border easily. Uh, but yeah, but it's not a. Um, it's not the same. But then, I find it interesting though that you know maybe. 
every founder you have always that moment where it's the first time it could be small or big that you make money with your work you get rewarded sometimes more than what you were expecting but it just kind of comes in this like level of abundance so was that the first time that you that you were hit with the power of uh, open source software and how much uh, the world was, uh, it felt like a big place, but also small, meaning, hey, if I actually do a good piece of code or a good piece of, like a product, like it can be useful for millions of people around the world. And how did that feel? And, 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 and what, how, does, how, how is it that, that actually changed your, your life, you know? Yeah, I think that, that was probably like the time when I, uh, uh, put me on this path of thinking globally. It was a very, like, I, I think a, a key moment this coming to that re realization that uh, uh, not just as a software could scale beyond uh, your country's, like, their uh, borders, but also that you, you, you could sell and make real money selling abroad and selling to different markets. Uh, and uh, and you could even compete on markets that maybe you thought were uh, too hard to enter or unattainable. So I think it, it, it was definitely what put me on that path, on this path of wanting to go international, wanting to, to use open source as a distribution mechanism and an engine for innovation. So I think it's, it's, it's interesting when you look back and those little moments, I don't even know why, what was I thinking specifically at the time when I decided to publish as an open source. Maybe it was a more out of curiosity to see how many people would maybe like my, my, my project or what people would comment it about. And then you think, look backwards and see like, well, that was such a defining moment that I didn't even put much thought into it, uh, right? Like, wasn't. Uh, but that's the beauty. It's just of it. an I experiment. You're yeah. flowing, right? Like it's that whole thing about the mindfulness of just uh, being present, and you were just uh, truly c connected, and you executed, and you felt that uh, that that was uh, your your calling in in life. Uh, there's uh, there's there's beauty in that uh, in that process, you know. I uh, and I think that. That's when all the professional developments for, for everyone really, you know, uh, it happens. I, I had a similar situation when I made a decision of wanting to be a professional venture capitalist. And I've always had this feeling that I could do a good job if I had, you know, enough determination and luck in this industry. But when I got my first job as an associate at a funders club, it was the same thing. And I, I was working very hard, you know, being always one of the first people to arrive, one of the last few few to leave, and I would go on weekends by myself to 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 just do some research. And over time, as I was working with founders, I realized I was like, oh, now I most people in this industry they don't work hard, they don't show up on time, they don't follow their promises. This is why you only have a small number of firms that are always at the top. Um, and um, but it was a natural process. I wasn't really thinking about it until you kind of feel it, and you're like, "Oh, this is there's an opportunity here." I, you know, I think I, I should really explore it. So it's funny how these moments. Yeah, I, I think who it, you are. The, 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 I think the, the the role that we have in those moments is it's it's realizing because a lot of people maybe they're just gonna pass through and not be open to to 
to, to understand what is actually going on on, on getting to those uh, realizations, right? So uh, it's, I think, I think they, they made a, a, I remember like reading about a study where they measured uh, people that thought they were lucky, they considered themselves lucky, and people who considered themselves unlucky. Uh, and then they measured the number of events, uh, like all the events that happened, they were like maybe uh, uh, positive or negative. And the main difference was not the number of events. Obviously, lucky, luck or, or uh, luck doesn't really exist. It's much more of how you react to the things that happen to you. And then if you sometimes you can turn them or focus on, not just focus on the good thing and forget the bad ones, but if you're really open to the opportunity, for instance, you, you actually take that, you focus on it, and then it turns into something else and it goes to the next step. And then you use that as a stepping stone to build something something more. And that where some people might just look and, and pass through the same opportunity. And just because they were not looking or, or thinking that they were good enough for that or, or they didn't took the, the, the risk, they would just pass and, and, and totally forget about. So I think the, uh, the luck is much more about how you react to things that happen to you than any any other external things. Obviously, there are like uh, cata uh, bad things happen to people, and there's stuff that I can I understand that my degree of luck would be I I come from a family that gave me good education that uh, uh, allow me to start a business without uh, worrying that I wouldn't have what to eat if things like went south, uh, that I, that I could go, uh, that good education put me in a good university. And so, and then I went to work in my father's company and that company allowed me to be creative and start a website, right? Maybe if I went to another business, they would maybe do something else. And so there is that degree of, of, of luck on all those opportunities, uh, uh, came externally, right? I didn't, uh, some of them. I didn't choose the family that was born or the school or, or uh, uh, the, were going to work with my dad. But I think then takes a lot of responsibility to then take those factors or those, those opportunities that the, 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 the life can give you and take them to the next level. Because a lot of people waste even the amount of luck that they receive. They can go to, can go to, to waste. And I think there's almost a responsibility if you are lucky to have some of those opportunities, it's not like you better do something, do something with them because a lot of people don't 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 have them, and they're gonna have a much harder uh, 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 time starting their own business. So I, in some ways, always put a lot of pressure on me because I felt like okay, if I if I already had such a head start in a few things in life, uh, my expectations about where I would go and what I would achieve uh, were, were always like very high was always uh, uh, so we, and that can even be uh, uh, have a negative effect in some people uh, uh, and it can be very you have to be very mindful because you might put then sometimes your targets far too high uh, Right, and then you become like a slave of your of your own uh, 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 targets of your own uh, uh, goals, and then sometimes you can they can be unachievable, and then you can feel a failure even though you might have succeeded and built something, 
and still feel that you, you're not good enough that you should have done more. So I think it's it's uh, uh, a thing that I've learned to be mindful of. Appreciate all that I received, being grateful for the people who gave me the head start and gave me the security and opportunities. Understand and almost felt a responsibility to make the most of them. Uh, uh, then putting high expectations about what I could achieve, but always trying to be high but realistic of what I could do, and uh, and I, and hopefully I think I've I've managed to get to a to a good balance between having high but realistic expectation, and I feel like I'm being able to meet them. So so far so good. <laughs> That's great. That's beautiful, though, and I think that it correlates with many things that, that you've talked about. I think that the word that I like to use, you, you always talked about how you react. And I think that um, the the word I always, not, not correcting what you said by any means, yeah. I agree with what you said, but I think that the, instead of reacting is about responding, right? Because ultimately mm-hmm. it's that whole thing that, you know, that book, the man's search for meaning, Viktor Frankl type of stuff, which, you know, the guy was in a Nazi camp and was still believing yeah. that he could get, get out of it alive. and go for it although he was in a horrible horrible situation so you know suffering it's almost as if suffering is inevitable but it's like what do you do with it and how you respond to to the challenges that you have in life uh, is is what matters i think that um that whole glorification of failure that people from the outside think that you know uh, folks in the Bay Area or, you know, or Silicon Valley or whatever the mindset of Silicon Valley is if failing is great or it's okay. You know, failing fucking sucks. No one likes to fail. Um, and oftentimes the people that you hear uh, talking about failure, they're, they're already massively successful, but, you know, no one knows about all the tiny little micro failures that they went through and how they actually took that as an input to get better, right? So, oh, okay. Okay, this is not working out because of that. Wonderful. Like now I've learned something. Let me iterate and iterate and iterate. And all you have to do is just have this uh, almost infinite determination to always adapt and always um, always improve. And the um, the fact that you know you're not gonna die out of starvation or you can take some risks in your life kind of puts you into into that path, right? And then it's also funny that. On the other side, if you were born with everything and you were born extremely wealthy and you had access to whatever you want, um, I've met so many people that were born that way and ended up you know, being pretty incompetent adults or useless for the most part yep. for the universe because uh, the game of life becomes very uninteresting. So to a degree, um, there's, a, there's a burden into into that because once you've crossed the chasm of like being on the top of the maslow pyramid which you know we, we both are but we're not you know flying private or buying islands or something like that not even if like if we did that i don't think that that would make us happier or you know or more like it, it wouldn't change anything but there is a moment where you have to make a little bit of money and then you're like all right um now what games do i want to play with who do i want to play these games and what is truly important to me as a person as a father as a leader right um that's uh those are those are very interesting um, aspects of life i think yeah i like it's cool what you mentioned because it it's almost like as a parent and now that i'm a a parent and i have kids uh to have like two kids it's 
you have to find this balance between obviously you want to care for them and give them uh, uh, stuff and and but also how do you balance them earning like like stuff right how do you make them feel don't feel that they're in just entitled or that you can just ask for things and things will happen um and and and, and that takes a lot of work so i can imagine um uh, and 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 sometimes I fail miserably because it's it's so much easier sometimes to just give. Uh, so it takes a lot of work to not just give because that's the is the easier way out. Obviously, when you, when you, you have money, when material, you have material things, right? Yeah, material things, right? When and then or or overcompensate with material things when you don't have the time to give to them, and then you're just gonna give them a present. You try to give a better and better present. Uh, so I think that can be a recipe that uh, people, wealthy people, can fall into the trap where they try to compensate for not having the time for the kids or trying to do the easy way out and just thinking that they can buy it, buy their way out. Um, yeah, that's right. You cannot and, buy love in life. Love, there's no price. Um, no. So. And then, then that's why, like, I've changed a lot of my, a few of my habits, even during. The, the weekends and trying to dedicate more uh, uh, to, to, to the kids and staying with them because that's the thing that they care more about, about the most, more than any toy or anything, is the time that they spend with uh, playing with the parents and playing with me. And uh, I, I don't know for how long because they say that it doesn't last long when they're going to be inviting you, <laughs> like the, the parents, to play. Maybe soon they'll be like, oh, come, go away, go away, dad, leave me alone with my, my friends. But uh, I'm trying to make the most of the time they really still uh, want me around and keep asking me to play with them every night or every weekend. Uh, and I have a good, that kind of relationship with my dad. So I know that he played uh, uh, an important role. And my dad always made us feel that we have to earn something. So I, although you have this safety net, you know that you're not going to like die of starvation or but in your life, if you want to go to a party, you're gonna to have to earn that money, right? So I, I think my very first job was as a as a uh, IT teacher when I was 14, something because I wanted to buy something, and then my father said like, "This is, I give you food and and, and shelter and this stuff and and made like toys on your birthday, but like, if you want any something like beyond that, then you're gonna to have to go and, and and get it." So I. I've, uh, it gave me a course, I asked for a course on Coral Draw, you know, like the, the... Oh, yeah. so, and I loved it. And I was, it was a, a good, uh, uh, with design. So I started to give away classes of Coral Draw for, um, uh, digital, early digital agencies. They wanted to learn how to like get people drawing stuff. Uh, and that's how I started to make some, some, some money to buy things that I wanted or to go out and, uh, <laughs> like so and so. Uh, I think that's the balance, uh, right? So then you, you, you I think it's good to feel, make your kids or first to feel safe because then you can be more creative. You can be, take risk uh, and want to, 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 to learn and have the time to evolve, but not think that you get everything then just given to you because then you, you, so that's the balance. I think you have to be something in the middle. Yes, that's right. I think that there's uh, there are moments. Um, you know, I am not a, a father yet. I will be one 
you know, one day. And I think I'm that sure. <laughs> uh, uh, haven't had the privilege of having such a beautiful relationship with, that you've had with your father. You know, I, uh, uh, to a degree, I, you know, kicked my father out of my house when I was 17 um, and, you know, found out that he was cheating on my mother with a bunch of different people. And um, today I have a peaceful relationship with him, but he's not really a big part of um, part of my life. And I talk about this openly just because I find that so many people uh, might have gone through uh, similar situations or even more you know painful uh, situations my mom remarried um, with a wonderful man that I called him my father today and you know um, and so forth but it's um, if there's one thing that this entire situation inspired me it was that you know like I really need to be a phenomenal mentor and role model uh, for my children when I have um, you know kids and, and and precisely say look When we're about to die, uh, who gives a shit about how many unicorns or, you know, like what, you know, how big of an IPO or whatever, right? Like you're only going to care if you loved uh, someone and if you were loved back. And it's such yeah. a si simple things and can't put a price on that. And I think that um, it's um, it's great. It's great. Uh, you know, basically just to, 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 uh, th th that you do have that mindset as well. I think that that's uh, that's uh, that's important. And you see, once you, once you left, have kids, the, uh, I've, I, there's nothing more powerful like your kid coming, giving you a hug and say, Dad, I love you. And the way they, 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 they look at you, it's, um, it's one of the most rewarding things than, than, you, you, than I ever experienced. And it's the kind of love that is different from anything, it's different from a, a love you have for your wife or, or even for your parents. Um, because it's 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 even more of an unconditional uh, love. Obviously, when things work, right? When I think when there's a uh, you put the time and then, but I think it's really worth putting the time. What you get back, it's it's uh, uh, amazing. So I, I and I'm sure you will we will talk about this. You will experience this soon enough. Uh, oh yeah, uh, <laughs> it will be uh, it will be. I I will be calling you for tons of advice on like look. I mean, I need. I have all these meetings I want to go to. I want to do this, but then you know, uh, all, 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 all of, uh, all of that stuff. But then that's why I even brought them to San Francisco a few times to try to make both works. That's how, like I used to take them. I took them maybe three or four times to board, board meetings. meetings. Yeah. 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 So and I said like, look, guys, this is the way I, I, I'll be able to get my family that they experience something. They will remember. The kids will love it. Uh, so yeah, I. Uh, I know, I'm not sure if it's a, that's a new, uh, something us, usual that the other founders do, but I found that taking my family to sometimes the board, the board, uh, the board meetings, not, a, not in the actual board meeting, meeting obviously, but they spend a week uh, there while it flies for the board meetings. Uh, uh, they would then not resent my board meetings because they knew that they would get some time to go to, to uh, we went to Disney once or to like some parks and, and travel. So they, they really appreciate, loved board meetings. <laughs> That's great. Well, it reminds me of something interesting that uh, I, I love the authenticity. I think that that's also another aspect of like any inevitable thought. They're just so different, but they are unapologetic and unafraid of being who they are. Right? And then it's up to whoever is investing, you know, and helping them to accept them as people. It's, it's so much more. That's how like the typical framework of, in my opinion, any long-term relationship, right? And then, um, and you want to start the bad, bad stuff first because i feel like as we grow older people just get better and their qualities kind of shine um uh, but one thing about this 
family, kids, and so forth. Uh, uh, you met them when we worked together in Florianopolis and uh, yeah. for, for that lunch. So uh, Elton and Emilia, the founders of uh, Compitus, they are a couple. And then uh, back when he had just finished uh, 500 Starbucks and he was raising money in the Bay Area, he would take his uh, daughter on his lap to meet with the VCs. Take the baby to the, <laughs> to the fundraising meetings. And, um, and I was like, oh, uh, how did that go? And then he said, oh, it was actually very interesting because um, I only want to raise money from the investors that were like super happy that I was bringing my daughter to the meetings, you know, um, and the ones that, yeah, they were, it was a bit like, it was interesting. I didn't, I didn't feel like it was going to be a test, but now, you know, whoever thought that that was kind of weird, I kind of don't want to take their money. And, um, and I was like, ah, oh, this is a interesting, interesting uh, framework, um, you know, so. Because it, it, it's, it's such a, getting uh, VC money, you, you become this, uh, a deep relationship, right? Like uh, we uh, discussed this the first time with Matt in, in San Francisco for for dinner, um, and it it be you choosing someone that you're gonna have to spend a good portion of your life, and you're gonna have to work on so many things together, and sometimes disagree. And so having a minimum alignment on the values and how you perceive the world can make this whole relationship like work better more more efficiently uh you you might disagree maybe sometimes on the uh, uh on maybe on a strategy or on a candidate but if you disagree on values on what you're both trying to get out of life and what is important that is much much harder to find common ground and work together so uh that's why getting to know the the vcs and i think vice versa from vcs getting to know the founders uh, uh, can be such a, a key component on making a relationship work. That's right. But, you know, I think we were talking about basically long-term alignment, right? Like in funeral yes. funeral alignment, how I like I like to call it. The whole story behind this funeral thing, actually, um, I was uh, I was having a meeting at Sequoia with uh, with 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 a, with a friend of mine, uh, Jess Lee, and she she had just uh, started there as a partner, and I was uh, telling her about you know the whole thing. I was like, hey, I'm thinking about leaving Funders Club, and I'm gonna start this thing called One VC. We were talking about what does it mean to truly partner with someone, and the intention behind how. Uh, how Sequoia does business and, and we were just joking that basically kind of like it's similar to uh, to, to getting married right uh, but then you know and then the whole thing you know till death do us part and I was like oh so what happens in the funeral it's like no you know we align until the funeral it's like oh right, I'm, so I'm gonna this, I'm gonna make this a thing uh, and uh, um, and um, it was funny that for those that are listening and, 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 are, and are not aware, um, you know, we're skipping a few parts, but that's t totally fine. You know, when the first institutional investor for Rocket Chat actually passed away and when I talked about aligning until the funeral, I mean, you want to, if, if you want to tell the story, Gabriel, I think. Yeah, that I, is, I, can, uh, I can, I can tell the story. Like uh, first, like Harry was, uh, 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 had this kind of energy, which was uh, was was crazy. I always, you could feel that he was uh, his day maybe had forty eight hours. That was the feeling that you always had about uh, about him. You'd be uh, 
so much energy and, and, and do so much all the time. But so when he found about Rocket Chat, he really like almost hunted me to, to, to find, uh, uh, got so many other founders to, to, to the founders of MongoDB to send me an email to introduce him. Um, and, uh, and then I was, I was away uh, on an event. So I didn't reply to his email immediately right there was like on the next day and he was he got nervous which i found funny like he got nervous and he sent me another email trying to introduce himself and say look look uh i'm the nice kind of vcs i'm i'm uh, uh i'm a dj you're gonna like me i i i used to uh uh pilot uh f f-16s for 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 the army i uh, uh my mom was brazilian so he started to pitch him <laughs> as a nice guy uh, 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 to me, and and then I went to do my my research, like okay, who the guy, who the hell is this Harry Veller? And then I thought, so many uh, uh, founders, and there's so many good like reviews of him being, even got some some prizes about like the uh, founders voting on the best partners or best VCs, uh, and and so I wanted to meet him. He pitched my idea back to me. It was actually like the the the, the funding round didn't have any pitch deck or anything. He was just saying like how much uh, communication and, and, and chat application collaboration tools would become uh, so perceived uh, uh, everywhere and how much privacy and, and just being able to be distributed and controlled would become a, 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 a something important. Uh, and it would be a big opportunity for a software like Rocket Chat uh, uh, to get that part of the market. So, so he wrote there and then on a piece of paper, uh, a term sheet and say like, you go there, you create your, the, just incorporate the business because we didn't have the business incorporated at the time. It's like incorporate the business and we, uh, we will transfer you the money. I love it. How did he find out about you guys in the first place, basically? So, because like when we started Rocket Chat, uh, the open source project, not the company, uh, I got an invitation to go to San Francisco to do a, 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 a present, yeah, to do a presentation in San Francisco about the project. And then I asked like, okay, are you guys paying for hotel or flights or whatever? And the guys from MongoDB, sorry, it wasn't MongoDB, it was like Meteor, said like, oh, no, no, we have this event. Uh, you have, you, you're invited, you can come and you're gonna have the mic for 15 minutes to talk about Rocket Chat. And Rocket Chat at the time was like wasn't making me any money. It was just like I was just putting my own money, so I was bootstrapping it. Uh, so for me, it was already okay. I'm already spending a lot of money on developers. Uh, do I want to go all the way to San Francisco for to do a talk of 15 minutes? You were living so, in London at that time, or in no, Brazil? no, I was living. Uh, I was back in Brazil. You're back in Brazil. Uh, okay. Be closer with the the with the team and if the some of the customers that we have from Connecti, which is the other company. And Rocket Chat was the side project at that point. So I said, like, well, it's not even my main thing. Is I spending a lot of money trying to get it off the ground? Then I started to think, like, how many times am I going to be invited to do a talk in San Francisco in my life, right? Um, so I was like, fuck it, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. But if I go, I have to maximize the return of or the investment of going all the way to, to San Francisco. Uh, so I started to call everybody that I knew from my time living in London, uh, and I met some of the MongoDB guys. Uh, I met, I sent an email to like all open source companies and 
another business that I could find, like enrolled a lot of meetups that I could and told my wife that I was going to stay there for a week. And she was not impressed because she's like, okay, but you told me you invited to do a talk for like 15 minutes. Why are you staying there for, for almost 10 days? And I was like, well, if I'm going all the way there, I'm going to try to talk to as many people as I can. Um, and that's, on the end, I've uh, met with the MongoDB guys. They wrote uh, about Rocket Chat in their press release that was coming for the next version of MongoDB. Uh, and the press release was discussed on the board meeting. And then NEA was one of the investors. So Harry read it and then now uh, got really excited about what we were doing and decided to track us. Uh, so that I heard later from Andrew, his assistant, his associate. I love it. Yeah, I think it's it's funny because that's that's how oftentimes some of the best investments that they come along. Um, you gotta be in front of uh, something that you a problem that you've been thinking about for a long time, and in general, in my opinion, true innovation. Um, I read this from a from a blog post from Fred Wilson. And I, I agree, it's, it happens around the edges. So these are typical problems that you've been thinking about for a while, you've been feeling it, and then you have, right, you're not being in that situation where, you know, like if you work too much, you can't make money, like you said. Yeah. When you see it, then you're like, oh, I need to stop everything I'm doing and really go deep into, um, into that uh, solution. Otherwise, I believe you get into this flow, which for the most part, most investors actually invest that way. They kind of like see what's what's out there, what's hot, what's coming. And uh, usually these are the ones that are not going to get paid really well in the future because, you know, our job is to, we're, we, we get compensated by having an opinion about the future before the future is even a reality. And it seems like uh, Harry uh, was excellent at uh, taking the right risk and by you know seeing the future in in the present um, yeah but... he, he was on the midas list from forbes like 10 years in a row so he did during like 10 years one of the best 100 investments in technology in the world in in, in a row and then that, that's after becoming a that was it was impressive like he was a fighter jet pilot which on its own can be a whole career, right? Like to be, how many years you have to be in the army and study and then you become an F-16 F pilot. Yeah, then it's, it's he, quite he a complex the, job as well. Like every time you go up, it's pretty risky, um, you know? And then he left to do business school, started a business where like went to work with Oracle, spin off, and then got like a, a success enough to build a career, go to the VC world. And then uh, by the time he was 46, he already had been on the Forbes list like 10 times. Uh, so it was, it was a very uh, uh, intensive, intensive life. But if the interesting part was that when he got involved and he he, he, he monitored us for nine months or almost a year, when he decided to was make an investment, he already had decided by the time he called me. So he said like, look, I already called people who have worked with you. Uh, I felt a little bit <laughs> invaded in some ways, like, why, who, like, I, I, I wanted to ask him, but I thought it was unpolite and he would not, but I called a few people who worked in you in the past, they say that I, it's going to be a, a pleasure to work with you, uh, I, I've, I've been following you and the progress of your company, the, your, your, your project and all that stuff, so I decided to be investing on you, NEA is investing on you, we just need to figure out the details. 
uh, where are you? And it's like, okay, I, I can meet you in New York uh, next Monday. And then it's like, okay, I'm gonna fly. I, I'll fly to New York, and then we're gonna have lunch. And then throughout the lunch, he pretty much convinced me to not take a deal that was on the on the table from ADP to buy the company. Uh, and there was also a deal from like an option from GitLab. And then he convinced me that he was going to be the 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 most interesting path. Uh, and that's something I've learned. You ask sometimes where, like people who, who, who also made a mark on, on, on my framework of thinking. And Sitsi from GitLab uh, made a, a, an impact on me because we were discussing selling the company or merging the company with GitLab uh, on the early days. And then Sitsi said that his framework for making a decision was always maximizing for interestingness. Because the money side sometimes is, is harder to grasp. He thought, I understand what he meant by that. It's like sometimes the decision that you take now, if the decision is driven by money, you could actually have, uh, get on the long run, maybe it's not the best decision money wise. Because, for instance, if I have uh, 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 sold the company for ADP for money on, on that short term or you, you never know what's going to happen next or the opportunities that are going to open up when you are, when you're excited about what you do in life. So he would maximize his decisions to how much excited and motivated he would still be to keep working and being creative and building stuff uh, because that would probably have an even bigger reward later, later on. Uh, and he, he would have lived a more interesting life. So he said that at some point someone offered to buy GitLab for maybe let's say like five million dollars, uh, and for him coming from maybe like a humble family from from like Holland, uh, from the Netherlands, uh, went to a community like it was could it be a, a big chunk of money to have the first exit, uh, but then he thought okay five million dollars would be just enough to start a new business, try to build a team build the product market fit and end up where I just am today because I'm not going to retire with that million dollars. So uh, is my life going to be more any more interesting having to start over or just continue from where I am and trying to see the, the, the product through? Um, and that's why he would decide to the next step about how more, more interesting and how much he could, he could grow on this next phase of whatever he was doing rather than the the the, the selling out. So,
Yes, because because uh, when when he when he shared exactly when he when he shared his framework and he started think and then he started to tell me that what he wanted to do if Rocket Chat you know, like after acquiring it and be turning into a part of GitLab, uh, just like a, a component of the main the main GitLab structure, and then I was thinking, okay, what is going to be more interesting? Just selling my company. To GitLab and then becoming a product manager and trying to see how my my product would fit with this other product, or trying to turn my idea into a proper business, creating a culture, hiring people, finding investors, and like how how many more things I will live through and how many how much more interesting it will be if I take uh, uh, the road which is more risky. But it's 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 gonna be like building the, the rocket chat into its own company. Uh, so inadvertently, he gave me the 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 the, the fact not the fact the, the the reasoning to decline his offer uh, because I thought it would be more interesting to build a company from scratch than just yeah. merging into something that he already built. Absolutely. And I think that oftentimes also, you know, I like that quote from Seneca about, you know, that we suffer more through imagination than reality. And uh, in the end, when we, just, right, when we look into things in terms of like, okay, what are the actual sacrifices I'd have to make in order to not, right, take the, it's, you know, like, that would be like the chocolate cake decision. You're on a diet, there's a dessert there, and you kind of like, ah, um, it's easier, I'll make more money now. And Having made those decisions in my career where I opened up, you know, what, you know, things in terms of like values and principles for a, a, a more comfortable present, uh, they always come back to bite you. And so that fortitude, but you have to learn as well. I think that uh, it's that whole uh, Mike Tyson thing. Everyone has a plan until, you know, you get punched in the face and you, you have to <laughs> get punched a few times. So you learn how to spare properly in life. But uh, but uh, you know, to, 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 it's coming back to, to 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 the to the NEA investment, right? As a yeah. a, a true like uh, almost bespoke precede, right? He, you know, he's in DC, flies to New York. You fly to New York. He writes it on a piece of paper and says, "Hey, take take this to Wilson Sonsini. Uh, they'll make it into a term sheet." And now, uh, how, how much did uh, NEA invest at that time? It was five million dollars. Yeah, so five million dollar pre-seed. But when was this? Was what was the year? Uh, yeah, with the the because we had to create a company. He was getting nervous because I, I told him like, okay, we're gonna have to incorporate first. And in US, I think it's pretty straightforward to incorporate, right? But we have to incorporate like the Brazilian entity, the Cayman Island entity, the the C Corp, and and then uh, uh, being now in Puerto Rico, like adding other contract signing was taking way up. Took maybe like three months. So by the time we were ready to, to for him to make the investment, it was uh, uh, 2017. It was the, like December 2016 when I all got ready. So I, I finally felt that the company uh, started to use the money. It was January 7, uh, 2017. Amazing. Still a pretty large amount for a pre-seed even to this day to form a single investor, right? So. An interesting story about uh, 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 Harry and, and, and his, his uh, uh, passing away, what I've learned was when they called me to tell, okay, Harry passed away, uh, we're going to have a memorial like 
and then other founders will come. Um, and do you do you wanna do you wanna come? And 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 in some ways, I my feeling, and I had to choose between going to my best friend's wedding, uh, one of my best friend's wedding, the guy I lived in London with, we like go partying together and like do all the crazy shit together, going to Ibiza together, and and it was his 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 wedding, and he was getting married to the like another big friend of mine, and then. I've uh, and it was going to Harry's memorial, so it was not just a fun trip. Like I was actually making a choice between two important things, uh, and I called my friend and said, "Look, I've I I I'm sorry, but I feel compelled to go." Um, and there was a bunch of reasons I was trying to identify what caused me to go there. So there was one that I felt. Uh, uh, owing, owing Harry to go there because he always told told me that I have to teach his mom to speak Portuguese again because she was born in Brazil and she lived in Rio until she was 16 uh, and so she always he, he always told his mom that he invested in a Brazilian company and then she would met a Brazilian and have a conversation and be able to, to use her Portuguese or refresh her Portuguese uh, and then I was thinking, okay, I, I told him so many times that I was going to do that. That's maybe may the last opportunity to meet his mom and like to go and meet his family, right? Uh, and also, I felt like part of his 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 family in some ways, like the the kind of relationship that we had, even for a short time, it felt like so uh, intimate. So uh, uh, you know, the kind of like conversations about like dreams and 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 so he felt that he became in a very short period uh, a friend and uh, and also in some ways i wanted to see who were the other people he invested on like what was this atmosphere and what what he was his legacy um so i in some ways that was actually very important to me to go to that uh, memorial to be, to be there and to meet his family, to meet his friends, to meet the other founders, uh, and it was quite quite an experience. I I was actually even more impressed than I than I expected, uh, positively impressed than expected. Um, the other founders that I've met, they were crying like babies, which uh, I'm not sure uh, would happen for every investor every founder relationship right <laughs> that they would cry like they would be so impacting even people who already had their exit they already they have their ipo everything and, and then they would describe harry as being sometimes like a key factor in their success that's great the person I think that who, that's the uh, you know aside from of course you know having the financial returns through your investors that's a good goal for a VC. It's basically like when you die, hopefully all the founders that you've invested show up at your funeral and they sob like little children. <laughs> and, and, and and they were saying like he was the guy who gave me strength when he thought there was like I was I was about to quit and then the guy was saying like and then Harry came in and, and helped me like come on. We trusted you. Let's find a way out. And then uh, uh, sometimes even putting more money on a company that was not doing great because he believed on the founder and believed that they would they would turn around and, and, and do something. So 
that's also what made me understand that for Harry, the reason why he was on the Midas list 10, day, 10 years in a row was not because he made the initial uh, right choice. Uh, he did he did a right choice about fo- uh, choosing the, those founders, right? And aligning on values with those founders. But he didn't stop there. He put the effort on making sure that those founders would ha- get the support and they would be, be feel confident that they could pursue and, and, and having the backing uh, of the of the investor uh, during the hard time. So, uh, uh, and, and from the stories that I've heard, a lot of his investments could have gone south if he didn't participate and, 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 and get the founders the space and, and the support for him to make the right decision and, and to persevere. So the work didn't stop on, on just the writing the check. Definitely. Absolutely. Yes. And I think you need to understand also, you know, when to, like as an investor, I always want to be the first phone call in moments of glory and in moments of, you know, doom. That's what, you, you know, you want to build enough trust to know that like you're, you are the first phone call for maximum celebration and, you know, hey, like we have this massive problem right now. Like what can we do to, to, to help? And, um, and it's important to also know, uh, I remember when, uh, also, to, you know, talk about uh, a framework from 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 Sequoia, where I was talking to Sebastian Mejia, the founder of uh, of Rappi, and he said, "That's like, hey, one thing that they do usually with their founders is that, like, you know, they'll bring you up when you're feeling down, and they also put you down when you're feeling like you're like the most, you know, amazing thing there. And that emotional fluctuation is is the norm, and you know." Uh, decacorn building i guess and then um i thought that that was uh that was so important right uh even uh just uh this week i'm uh, uh helping one of uh it's a company i was as an been a, an angel investor and i've asked the founder it's raising a pre-seed right now and um it's uh and it's going you know it, it is making progress but not at you know supernova type of uh, progress and i've asked him also i was like can you make payroll next month <laughs> and and then he said uh, uh, I can't um, and I'm like no problem right like let's continue to introduce you to more investors and um, I just want you to understand that I made this investment in you because I think that you have all the skill sets to be extremely successful so just breathe and we're here to support you and help you and having that emotional fortitude is is by far I think the most the most it's one of the most important things and you you, you don't want to yeah. be around uh, some investors are also like stupid like uh, cheerleaders hey everything's great everything i don't think that's the right way to operate i think no it doesn't it doesn't help you grow right like it doesn't yeah. it's the same as parents that can give you give you a, a participation prize for everything that's that doesn't doesn't help you get in get get, in, get anywhere yes and that's why we have such a soft generation i guess uh, coming up with that uh, not 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 with every kid not with every parent uh and, but that's a that's a whole nother another story so then um you know when you decided uh, we skip like a, a portion of your life basically almost yeah. like the decade long like that you stayed in london in um, london it yeah. was it was an interesting moment what i decided to experience in london first getting there 
uh, and opening the branch, uh, I decided I needed to learn how a company like mine operates on on like this market. So I, I actually went there and got a job on a company that was exactly like mine. So I could see the inner workings. And I worked there for a year. I made friends with the founder. Uh, if the founder became really good, good close friends, uh, I explained to him that I had a similar company in Brazil that could outsource a lot of his business uh, development business back to Brazil. He would make money. I would make money. Uh, and it was cool. I still a, a close friend. We then I went to start to find other Brazilian companies that could expand in in US. I ended up selling my my part of the business in Brazil. Sorry, and and find other companies that could uh, expand in the, in Europe, bring them to the to the market, and then after that there was an opportunity to work for Vodafone, and then I felt okay. I never had an experience on work on a on a on a on a massive company, with hundreds of thousands of employees, and understand how why they say that big companies get slow and why why uh, uh, there is such an opportunity to, to... yeah. Well, it's in, in in a way, well, it was fun time working for Vodafone, but in some ways, it was this curiosity: how does it feel to have to feel that you have these unlimited resources to do stuff, but also that you have to ask permission to do anything? So, although you have massive budgets, you feel that you you have to do like baby steps, uh, and then everything gets charged so much more. Like, I want to hire designer to do like a quick uh, prototype of a, of a, a telephone system and then oh but you have to choose from the list of approved vendors on our and then okay who is the approved vendors oh you have one that is like uh sapien nitro and they charge you like a thousand dollars an hour to do the design and it was like thousand dollars is what i would i would get designers back home to do the whole project for a month <laughs> and those guys are charging like a thousand dollars an hour so what is the budget like like three hundred thousand dollars just to do the mock-ups it was like fuck this is what i thought the whole so there was this learning where you understand why big corporations uh become slow and everything's like it started to be so expensive and so it was also a, a very uh, good learning moment i stayed at vodafone for almost two years one because the payment was really good <laughs> and then i made a lot of money uh while while working for vodafone uh getting like uh thousands of dollars i wasn't a consultant so i wasn't like a, a full-time i was a full, full-time working there but as a consultant and uh and was making like for me at that point it was a lot of like a, really a lot of money making a thousand twelve hundred dollars a day uh, uh for working there so it was, it was good it was like good days. oh yeah for sure <laughs> when when you were uh, making that type of money um did something change in your lifestyle or what were you doing with it the first uh well i was still living on the i was still living on the same place like ne didn't didn't move we still going to the same places uh uh, uh and i was saving pretty much everything that that i could because i knew i wasn't going to be there for long and uh, I was going to need the cash soon after to do something that I liked. Uh, uh, so I, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't have a car before, and I didn't have a car later. Uh, and I've, I've lived on the same uh, flat, and I was sub, subletting all the other rooms, and I was still subletting all the other rooms. So nothing, nothing really changed. I just uh -huh. felt 
the only thing was that I felt more, uh, must more. Uh, I, I I didn't worry about the future that much because uh, I've been to some times in London that I felt like I had to choose and budget my lunch time uh, to know that I'll have enough money throughout the month to buy lunch without maybe having to ask call call home and ask daddy i know exactly <laughs> i have been there many times i know exactly what you're talking about so uh, um, it's uh, but this is, these are these i think are all good things that you know make you always a better person and uh and and and, and founder so uh so you ran uh you then you started a, a company called connecty right which was then you know rocket Shot was actually a side project from it there's so many interesting uh, companies that kind of like arise, like rise from a side project or something else. So, what was Connecty, um, and uh, and how did the you know the first time that you were you starting to actually solve this problem of you know connectivity and chat uh, for, for so yeah so so Connecty was the 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 more I started to work at Vodafone, get frustrated with uh, with the pace of everything. I literally, I think I counted sometimes. I spending like eighty percent of my time doing PowerPoint presentations to boards and to gates so I could approve my next move. And then I was like, how can I do anything that is 80% of my time and just convincing other people that I'm doing the right thing? Um, so I decided to- was your own company, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so I explained why I decided to leave Vodafone and, and started Connecty. But I was exposed oh, okay. to a lot of technology. Sorry, yeah, you were wasting yeah. all this time within Vodafone yeah. and then... Okay. Within Vodafone. And then, and then I started to see, look, I wanted to build something uh, that I, I, uh, I can spend my time actually on the product and not, in, not on just convincing people that that, that was uh, uh, needed. Uh, and, and Vodafone, I was lucky enough, there was also exposed to a lot of new technology. Like we had hackathons for... Node.js developers, and then I first understood uh, this new programming language I, like MongoDB, and uh, so many things started to to happen. That I said, okay, there is an opportunity here to use these new technologies, use my uh, 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 what I've seen the like on the open source world with like Sugar CRM and other CRMs, maybe to build a, 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 a business framework to develop applications using all those modern tools. Um, and then I became friends with the MongoDB guys because it was funny. I, I looked into any uh, meetups uh, for MongoDB and then I found that MongoDB itself was they were hosting a meetup on, on every uh, first Tuesday of the month. And they, they would send all their engineers there and they would actually pick up the tab uh, in the bar. It was a coffee shop. Uh, for whoever would go there and talk to the engineers and spend some time with there. But I was the only guy there. There was no one else. I, only me and the engineers at first. And then I'll come with, like, I was trying to learn MongoDB, so I'll come with those questions and, and trying to uh, understand how I could build a really powerful CRM using MongoDB and asking them to evaluate my, my diagrams and my, my, my data structure. Uh, obviously, it's a schemaless database, so... But what was the best way to, to replicate the data and to do? And those guys would spend like two, three hours with me, and they would say, "Well, usually our time when it's charged companies is like a it'd be like a thousand dollars an hour 
for MongoDB would charge a, bill our time to someone else and you're getting this for free and we are paying you the coffee. <laughs> so, so I kept, I kept going there and learning about how to use their technology and then became good friends of them and they invited me to meet the CEO when he visited London and uh, I was on the, the, when they inaugurated the, the office in London, uh, I was also there. And that's why I developed like, this good relationship with uh, uh, MongoDB guys. Um, Oh, that's the other but important I, aspect of, yeah. uh, of any inevitable, let's just say, having this uh, relentless curiosity, right? You just always want to learn and learn and learn. It's important. It's very important. And that takes you places, right? If, you, if you're if you eager, if you're humble and eager to learn, um, you, and even the relationships you develop, because if you, uh, some people don't say, ah, I don't like network events, uh, networking events. They feel, but if you are a really curious person, you find sometimes of, of uh, uh, and you really want to know about people. That's if that's a true uh, curiosity that you have. It can be fascinating to learn more, and then you feel this, like, oh, there's a chance that I have to go and understand, I learn about their story, how they end up. The, I, I talk with the engineers, I learn about their lives, how they ended up with MongoDB. They went to San Francisco. The guy was British. MongoDB sent them back. So I, I, I really enjoyed my time, and I wasn't making small talk. I was. Uh, 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 truly and honestly wanting to get to know those guys, wanting to know their backstories, their technology and understanding. Uh, uh, so I don't know. I really, I'm, I'm one of the person that when it gets this uh, networking event, sometimes I, I end up making a few friends and, and because I, I'm, 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 I'm really a curious person and love hearing stories. Uh, so it's, uh, it comes a bit natural. Yeah, I think but, it's genuine curiosity. I guess that's what genuine curiosity. That's the 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 the, the Q and, and genuine interest in, in other people. Because if you if you, people who are not interested in other people, then I can imagine going to a network a network event and getting to know people. You feel like okay, that, how can I pretend that I care <laughs> about this answer? And then and then, uh, but no, yeah, no, I generally care and, and generally get excited. And I feel that everybody has some cool stories to tell. If they feel that you're a good listener, they will open up and tell you some some, some cool things. And and uh, 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 if they feel that you you care, you you want to listen, and you give them the the the, the space and and safe space to, to talk about. But anyway, so I decided I was going to make get all this technology that I was exposed and turn into a product, into a CRM or some or something like that. So that's why I started hiring, looking at the developers all around the world or mainly in brazil that i could hire that uh, I, I decided okay i want to use those technologies who are the guys in brazil uh that are managing the forums they're most active in the in the uh, uh talking about this and writing articles and that's how i ended up uh, like hiring uh rodrigo our cto because there was a, a, a framework for writing U, uh, UI uh, that Rodrigo was the creator and, and hosting this forum for it. So he was the guy active. So it's, uh, this guy loves technology. He's the guy answering people about how to do this, how to develop teaching. The, uh, and he's really, really good about uh, uh, the, do, building it. So I contacted him and said like, do you want to work? Uh, remotely for, for I want to start a business building uh, a, a tool on top of those technology and 
so I got him to quit his job and uh, uh, start working remotely for me, which was also like something new for him. And I started to do all this hiring remote people, just finding whoever was the best person on the, each technology that I wanted to use. Um, and then we started like that was how connected it started. And those guys like Rodrigo are with me all the way up to this day because we, we align in so many level and he was also a, a person that never stopped uh, uh, learning and being eager eager to learn. He introduced me to Meteor. He introduced me to so many technologies that he would uh, 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 try out on his spare time and just say, oh, look, like this new cool thing that, I've, that, I, that I found out. Uh, uh, this new framework, this new technology, and then end up deciding so many decisions on the, our uh, uh, the story of Connecty and, and Rocket Chat was uh, uh, de decided because Rodrigo couldn't stop thinking about new technologies and, and understanding how they could use and apply to, to solve uh, problems in a new way. Um, so it's it's that that's why I, I value his curiosity and his is eager to, to keep learning so much that's great but um uh, yeah I, I think i went into a, a, a side path here but uh, uh so was vodafone did it was bored of trying to convince people to do stuff learn a lot of technology when i was in london decided to use all this technology to to solve old problems about how you build uh, uh enterprise software uh, went on to find on the internet who are the best people for each of those tools, build a team, and that's how Connecty was born. That was the, the, the result. Uh, and during the history of Connecty, a lot of our customers started to ask uh, what is the best way for them to, to communicate with their customers, communicate with their teams, and that's when we decided to build a communication tool. Uh, so Rocket Chat was this communication component uh, of uh, the side project to build a communication tool for connecting. Wonderful. And then, um, because customers, basically the idea was to actually have a chat platform for customers to be able to chat with, like talk with each other uh, outside of email or, you know, and, and we yeah, were frustrated. They, they wanted email. to have, yeah, they, have, they wanted to have that widget on the website or maybe connect to Facebook, but our understanding was always always like, okay, if I'm talking to a customer on the website, but it, what if uh, they ask me something that I don't know, but I know that a colleague know? I'm going to have to talk to a colleague or maybe invite a colleague to the conversation so I can give the best answer to the customer. So we understood that we need to make a very good tool to communicate with my customer, but also at the same time, a very good tool to communicate with my team. Uh, and all that we've seen on the market at that point was doing one or the other. You either had like Zopping or Olark or all this stuff, which is a good communication tool to talk to your customer, or you have Slack or HipChat. It was a good tool to communicate to your colleagues, to your team. But we always thought like, why those two things cannot be on the same place? Why do I have different tools to talk to different people? Uh, and that became the the whole value of Rocket Chat that you should have one tool for communication, uh, and not just keep jumping from different tools to talk to different people. That's great. Well, and it's a it's a, such an important problem that I think 
what fascinated me when uh, you know uh, how, how we ended up getting uh, uh, connected, right? right? Like I met uh, uh, Vanessa Larco, right? Like at NEA when she was still at Twilio, I was at SendGrid at a Bessemer event. It was an investor that we've had uh, together, and then um, and she was like, "Hey, I got this." It, it, it's it, it's so interesting how I truly believe in like Carl Jung's like theory of like synchronicity because the night. That uh, that we that we had that she actually talked about uh, us uh, potentially uh, coming in you know to 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 partner, and it was um it was I think I think you know, Silicon Valley Bank was organizing this dinner in uh, in San Francisco, uh, and it was for like the Latin Americans like Latino stuff and uh, I hate that shit like because for me it's basically kind of like. Um, I, I I never want to play the minority card. Uh, my card is a card of like I'm a good investor that provides great returns yeah. for my LPs and finds you know badass founders, men and women, and that's it. Like it doesn't matter where I am from, what's my name, or all that stuff. I I really don't like any of that rhetoric. Um, I think it's actually anti-American, uh, in my opinion. Uh, you know because of the whole self-reliance that this gorgeous nation has. But uh, I went to the dinner anyway. And then, uh, and then that's how we ended up uh, 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 because you know she she grew up in Miami right like daughter of uh, Colombians and I didn't even know that uh, and uh, and then and uh, but I think what what truly connected me with the opportunity of us uh, uh, partnering was the this precise pain that I've always felt you know having been a part of one of the most successful email companies in the world with SendGrid and also before that before the iPhone came out. Being a part of Nimbus, which we know was like a chat app built on top of XMPP, and all these limitations across protocols, that uh, even when they are open and adopted, the level of innovation that actually ends up happening uh, on 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 the technology is quite low, right? If you look at like email, email is slow, is very old, but yep. no one can. We, we can't get it out because you know it's like how are you going to stop using HTTP or DNS or SMTP? You just don't, right? Um, so you know, companies like Superhuman, for instance, for email, right? They'll build this gorgeous-looking design, and it's worth hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, by just improving the power of this protocol that flows everywhere. So when you uh, presented this vision for omnichannel seamless communication across the board where you become almost like the switcher the router for inter-protocol communication i was very impressed uh because i was you know it, it was as if i was being I'd be looking for something like this for a long time and 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 it's almost like when you look back and you, you look at it it, it it i like ideas that be, they look obvious once you realize and you, you get to this to this point where you understand where you where you're up to you're like god man that's that's so obvious that that's so such a uh needed uh uh solution and i feel like sometimes if i talk to people and tell them look on email you you imagine if email if you were going to send an email to someone a hotmail you had to have a hotmail account and then you want to send someone email to someone in gmail you're going to have to create a gmail account to send someone to gmail and then if someone have an AOL account, you have to create an AOL account to send an email to an AOL account. That would be crazy, right? It's so like everybody can agree. It's like, yeah, that would be fucking crazy. That's that defeats the point. It's like, but what do we? Why do we accept such a thing for chat, for for messaging, 
Like, why, why uh, 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 we are convinced that that's okay, that I need an Slack account and a Teams account and a Telegram and a WhatsApp and a, like, it's, it's, and then people are like, yeah, this is fucking crazy. Like, this is not be the, the, the world we live in. That it's not, it's, it, it, this is maybe good for the companies, but it's terrible for the users, right? So everybody agrees that it's a massive, a massive problem. But how how do you address it? How do you even start to address such a problem? Um, and we believe like the only way possible is with an open technology. No single company on their own will be able to build the bridges and make the the this shift with a closed product. But that because that is by definition, the problem itself, then all those technologies are closed. And the reason why email is universal because it's an open technology. Uh, then lies the, the challenge on how there is no one single company behind email, like no one owns email or do you have, you don't have a, a email ink, right? Or something like this, but there's a lot of profitable email companies you've worked in one of the most uh, uh, profitable one, and Microsoft made a lot of money with email. Google with email, like there's so many. So it becomes a harder challenge on how do you create a business that is more of an ecosystem than just trying to sell a solution, that, right? Yes, how definitely, definitely. And I think that's the challenging part, but it's so much more powerful to build yes. an ecosystem. Yes. Than trying to just sell a solution. One, I love. I mean, that metaphor of open protocols. It reminds me of uh, when I was still at Funders Club, and you know, we were very early in crypto, right? We were seeing investors in Coinbase. We invested in uh, Chainalysis and, uh, and Shapeshift and Ripio. And this is six years ago. Basically, started working with crypto, and Bitcoin was thirty dollars. Ethereum was, uh, you know, fifteen cents. And um, it's fascinating just to see. It all the conversations right now about uh, DeFi and it was this relationship that I've had with email and with SMTP plus understanding the nature of the Byzantine general's problem that made me realize I was like holy shit the crypto is by far as big if not bigger than the internet itself because we've always needed some sort of like financial means of transacting and rewarding each other with some sort of like karma like setup but we all have to believe that money has some sort of value in order for money to work unless you have this decentralized ledger that is the value that proves that the value exists or the transaction exists and um and you can print more you can and I, I, be, I was thinking about that and how that applies right like the decentralization of, of of money or finance or you know just basically authentication as a whole and how can that be applied uh, to messaging meaning um, you know towards what you're talking about with the need of having an open framework it's the only way for that to actually propel because no single company can own that it would then be an it would be a bug in the system right it's almost like I like to think that we are on the right side of history. When you look about how things evolve on the internet, they always 
tend to distribute it to uh, with all the protocols. The whole, the whole uh, 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 fundamental characteristic of the internet was about, or even the uh, the protocol, right? The IP is about creating a network that is can find its way and have multiple nodes all connecting to each other. And there's no single point of failure. There's no single gatekeeper. Uh, uh, so I think if that's the fundamental characteristic about the internet, how things are built, uh, and then email becomes the the same thing. About the websites are built on the same thing. It's like the role routing mechanism, DNS, everything is built to be distributed, to have multiple players and multiple, uh, uh, no single find of player, you have mul multiple nodes that serve the technology uh, is only, and then I, I think there's a little bit of a pendulum that sometimes innovation, those systems, and because there's so many people involved, maybe the, the, the innovation gets uh it becomes lower because there's so many moving parts there's so many people using that like that's why email became a slow way to communicate although it's digital because it didn't evolve enough because there was no driver for innovation or someone uh, leading it uh, in a way that a startup can try different things can can change designs can try out and if it works because email cannot be changed overnight. You, all the process of changing a protocol that is open is hard. So there is this gap where it looks like companies will uh, uh, take advantage of this gap, build proprietary solutions to those problems uh, because they can try out fast and proliferate different solutions. And then eventually the big arch of history will build the the open version of that and then become the standard and universalize that uh, become universal well, uh, how, how, how can that actually happen in in a practical way because for instance I've seen right like I remember this company I saw YC I think Excel invested in them called uh, station and there are many others where just oh we'll, we'll figure this at the client we'll figure this out at the client level. I'll give you a client that gives you then, you know, an, almost like an iframe uh, imagery reproduction of like your 10 chats. And then, you know, all you get to do is then instead of browsing different tabs or opening multiple apps, it's one app, but all the inboxes, like they're just all uh, all separate, right? Um, that, so that's one approach. And then you have the approach of like beautiful design, sophistication, keyboard shortcuts of superhuman. So it's like, oh, I'll make your just email better, uh, you know, or... Or, or the mix max approach or you know like things that would like be on your email and then like your gmail becomes this slow almost like a christmas tree with so many different it's like it's this horrible thing um and uh and i'm a i am a mix max paid customer as a superhuman so i'm just not a criticism i think that both of those companies are great but uh i my, my question to you though as probably you think about this way more than i do so um right like what is the like do you think that Rocket Chat eventually is, you know, that s switcher uh, in order for it to actually first convert the protocols, right? So if you get, 
um, like let's say SMTP, you can push out some sort of other protocol and you know, and then over time as you become the switcher, maybe this you know, there's this ability of having a different protocol that can be slowly through open source adopted by other people. Just like the, the ma what is what will be the master plan uh, in your view towards this um, sophisticated unified way of of of, of, of communicating? And and I think you 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 own your question. You described a good portion of what we think is the is the master plan. Is uh, one if you solve this only on the on the client level, you you didn't solve the big part of the problem, which is the decentralization of 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 of, uh, of communication, right? You you didn't solve. Um, how you do uh, uh, discovery of of the, of the other users properly, or 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 even bring users together into the same conversation if they are in different platforms. You're just having different tabs. Uh, you just uh, you you just improved the UX, but you didn't you didn't really solve the the real the real issue behind. You just on email, I can invite anyone to participate in any conversation. I don't care if they are on Gmail or Outlook. Or uh, or Apple, um, so I think that should be the the final the final goal. Uh, obviously, to get there, it's it's you need a strategy and steps. And getting a server that can talk those different languages uh, and bridge on the server level, uh, and even be this switch, this hub for messaging between different platforms, it's the the first step and uh, building then the protocol where those different services to talk to each other, which is you look at all the things that SMTP got right, all the things that XMPP got right, and then you try to learn and understand every, all those, all the things that they got stuck with because they had legacy decisions that didn't allow them to evolve. And this can, allow you to write what is the next version of the federation protocol that allows multiple nodes on the internet to exchange messages in real time and not create spam or to be people are certain that the message was delivered that there is a proof of sender and signature there is a, maybe uh, we even think uh, uh, can there be a and then putting blockchain together there can can there be a cost attributed to sending and receiving messages uh, or uh, like we, we, we talked about this in, in some of our uh, brainstorms like well, imagine if you have to spend some card sort of token every time you send a message uh, and then you receive the token every time you receive uh, that kind of message so you create incentives for people to kind of balance in the amount of people message that they received and sent uh, how much less span maybe you'd get from companies that would just like blast out, or even if they're blast out, then at least you're making some money on receiving. Yeah, that, that would be beautiful. Uh, a, a fully authenticated, non-spammy messaging interconnected omni-channel layer. That's a mouthful, but you know when eighty-eight um, percent of all email in the world is spam because spam is so cheap. Right, all you have to do is because yes. and it's it's a way for you to 
there's no protection layer. May, if I email you should you, add a layer like economic value on sending an email. Like, okay, even if it's like a couple of cents or something, but the normal human, they'll probably like would even out. So I don't care. Like I would, I would, I would, I would like spend $10 and get $10 and on my day, I'll have uh, got into a, 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 a cash flow neutral, but it would make it hard for companies that they would think twice before blasting you if they had to spend 10 cents for each person they want to reach uh, right. every time they want to send an email or something like this. Yeah. So, and, I, I, uh, and, I, and also the switching part, although, you know, like kind of like being the, the ability of like, hey, a customer message you on your website and you receive a message inside Rocket Chat that you can respond and that posts back into a WhatsApp channel because whatever, that's the best setup that they have. And the fact that you guys can do that is extremely powerful. And then it reminds me of a Tim O'Reilly talk that uh, it was very memorable to me when he talked about that um, oftentimes big, you know, technology projects. But I think that this is for anything that changes the course of mankind in a positive way is that they manage to add more value than what they can capture. And I think that that's the best essence for like open source right? and you know yes it, it's it, it's very true and and that's something that some founders have to come have to come come to terms with it because the initial when you we build an open source company and then you see some people forking your project and then building a SaaS product of your project and start charging and then and you your initial reaction is fuck i i should have got be getting that money that i that's my that's my project that that's we built this right or you see large organizations using your product for free and then it's like well, those guys have money to pay they should be paying me uh, something but then you have to come to terms that you're going to be creating a lot more value than you can capture back uh then you realize that the game is is a numbers game then you think, okay, if I'm only going to capture a fraction of all the value I create, and that's something that I cannot change, like this conversion from free to paid is go always going to be a massive number because open source, I don't know any open source company, like true open source company, they have a, 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 the, the amount of paying users is, is more than, than a percent of the amount of all the users they use. If you get MongoDB, how many MongoDB deployments are there compared to the enterprise version of Elasticsearch or or, or WordPress, right? Uh, WordPress says that on their on their uh, 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 crawling, they find it close to a uh, um, of the that, internet, right? 25. They say 25 oh, on their website. Oh, they used to say 25% of the internet is. If they, if twenty five percent of the of the internet was a paying customer, I think WordPress like automatic would have a, a different valuation, right? So, <laughs> so it's a game of numbers. Then you realize, okay, I have to actually generate a lot more value than I am actually uh, capturing, uh, because that's sometimes easier than trying to cap to capture more and cannibalize your 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 uh, project or your 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 community. So, uh, uh, yes, it's, 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 uh, that quote is very true and something that every founder of an open source company has have to come to terms with it, that you will only capture a fracture of the, of the value create. So focus on creating a lot of value. That's great. And then how do you do, 
I love that, but you know, ultimately, uh, during many of our conversations, we've always talked about the fact that, uh, hey, I think maybe uh, you know, Rocket Chat's biggest competitor isn't um, Slack or Microsoft Teams because you know the what what, what we do uh, is 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 very different, right? It's private, decentralized, yeah. full control of the user, um, far more sophisticated in some ways, and so the biggest competitor is actually the community edition. So how do you draw that bar? And I suspect that this is, it's a moving target across multiple features and levels of support, but where do you figure out the range of like, all right, this is all open source and available and happy to add more value than what we can capture here, but here I need to get paid, right? So, uh, and again, I talk about GitLab sometimes because I'm, I'm highly inspired by them. And I think Sitsi has defined, uh, I've seen him defining very, very well, this buyer's, uh, buyer's-based licensing, which is you look into a feature and then you understand who is the person, who, who is the buyer that this was, would benefit. Uh, not the user that would benefit, but the buyer. And then you understand maybe having having a, a engagement dashboard that measures uh, how your users are logging in and logging out. That's something that is less useful for the users themselves, but maybe for the manager of an organization, for the for the uh, director or like the the high upper management. So that's you think. Okay, this is a feature. That the value is for the the buyer or an organization. So I'll I'll charge, uh, uh, try to make that That's that great. feature an enterprise feature. You know that uh, that mindset and that framework. For, funny enough that you have mentioned this. Um, it's also what uh, made uh, uh, you know me and 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 and, and the team at when I was at, at FCVC at Funders Club uh, write a check, the first check that. That invested in Pipeify. We treated the B2B SaaS product as a consumer product, and we were looking at the cohorts. And all the credit in this particular analysis go uh, to you know my former manager Jared, that then became the founder CEO of CodeCov. That you know we ended up investing in. It, uh, it's always great to just continue to play long-term games with with long-term people. And uh, and and we were in a meeting, and we were just all right. Um, you know, you launch on Product Hunt, and you have these like you know twelve thousand plus customers that want to use you. But like, what about the ones that are using you right now? And what happens after fourteen days, and thirty days, and sixty days? And we saw that there was this retention rate on the cohort that was higher than consumer uh, apps, basically. Like you know, but all but what had to happen within that given organization? So to like to like that bulb for the manager that you're talking about is that oh, we need more than uh, 10 to 15 people in one given organization using uh, Pipeify. And when that happens, the retention is above 70% after 30 days. So it's like, okay, this is worth a lot. We should provide as much capital as possible to this company. Um, so uh, so do you treat basically all the features and like the internal analytics of Rocket Chat as a consumer product? And are you always looking this across the overall user base and you know the paid customers? Like, How does that work? Yeah, that that's exactly right. Like the things that we we, we understand will uh, get the users, the end users, like the, the the time to value and them to feel the aha moment when they 
talking to their colleagues and they're able to connect the apps they they, they want and the enterprise software uh, uh, that those are not the features they're going to be charging on the the enterprise version like the where we see is when the team already got addictive to having the communication tool is when the 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 management and the large organization needs to start structuring the team structuring uh, um, getting reports and understanding what is going on that's where there's opportunity uh for for the for the enterprise that's when how we we we, we tackle so it's i think open source is the strongest uh product led growth is almost like open source is product led growth by nature in some ways right because you, 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 the product comes first and you have to prove your value first people need to get addictive addicted to, to your product and, and really you, you show the value and that's then you have to find where are the very last components then when it gets to the manager because the manager look like okay our operation is now depending on this tool we're using it for free what happens if they crash like what happened uh, or i want to get some information about it uh, uh and then they understand okay we need to buy the license to to be comfortable in relying in this tool and that's one thing that i thank i i, I thank uh, uh nea it's when they gave me some time to spend with the founders of many of the portfolio open source companies from the portfolio like sentry mulesoft elasticsearch mongodb again and uh there was always they under uh, this explanation from those open source companies that even free like free is not a good price for an enterprise uh it's a good way to get in but if you get too big free might be a problem because if you get too big inside a corporation and you start relying on your tool but they don't have any slas they don't have they don't have anyone to call when when the things go down um and if you get too big it means that they are relying on this technology they will want to pay someone something to know that that thing is working and 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 they will remain working uh, so you have to mix this uh enterprise tool that will give them this assurance will give them the slas will give them the support with some features that will give them the visibility for things they want to give they give them the control the, so you look at the buyer and you understand yeah it's the manager that wants to buy this the thing not the end user uh and that's how i think we divide between being a consumer app but having an, an enterprise side uh, a consumer app for free an enterprise app for a license fee nice well so it in your opinion then it's almost as if you would think that almost every SaaS company should be an open source company i mean i can see that you would strongly believing that uh, using it as a as a go-to market uh, strategy but i well maybe it's a secret Shh, don't tell them <laughs> um i think more maybe is i don't like uh uh 
say every enterprise company should be a, every SaaS company should be a, a, a open source company. Everything that is an exaggeration sometimes you you end up uh, uh, digging yourself a hole uh, uh, and proving wrong. But I think there are many more enterprise companies, uh, sorry, SaaS companies that would benefit from opening up their technology and getting more of an ecosystem, more of a collaboration from their own users into building that tool and maybe becoming a standard and, and growing, creating a lot more value than they can imagine with that tool than uh, they realize. And then sometimes you look some, even some simple, I think the proof for that is that sometimes there are some very s simple, not so good uh, open source project that become the, the, the standard for something just because they were the ones to open source. And sometimes we come, they end up becoming unicorns or like massive companies. Uh, and there was, there were better alternatives paid alternatives that didn't grow as fast because they were focused on trying to make everyone a paying customer and becoming a SaaS. Like WordPress, if you look at the code base on WordPress, if you, even in the early days, that, that's, that's, that was not like a good a, a example of you would say of a very thought through good engineering and architecture and, uh, uh, and so on. But, it was the open thing out there. It was the people people could use for free and it was engagement and cause the community and and end up getting to the size it is. But there was definitely like better proprietary alternatives. Uh, but I think on the long term, the advantage of making, creating a, this ecosystem around your product uh, outweighs the short term uh, costs of, of leaving some money on the table. So it really depends if you come to terms with the fact that you can create a lot more value than you can collect, that you can capture. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I mean, I think uh, Automatic is a great example. Uh, an, another great example is, that isn't open source, but, but creates a big ecosystem around itself and uh, doesn't have the best product is Salesforce. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Salesforce sucks. Um, I don't know anyone that says, oh, it's a delightful, gorgeous software experience. You know, usually as companies evolve, you get to this point where like everyone needs to kind of buy it. Um, so it's a great stock to own because uh, I, this is a typical thing. I, I, I don't see a good startup saying, oh yeah, we're investing in Microsoft Dynamics or we're gonna buy the Oracle CRM. No, everyone buys Salesforce, but then, it's so complex you need to hire an isv to implement it and then like within the company you have the salesforce you know, sheriff you know who's gonna make all these decisions uh towards like what are you going to put within that installation and then in the end uh, oftentimes these salesforce installations they look like a horrible looking christmas tree that has all these weird integrations with all the shit that you know you've been buying for your sales team and it's a clunky complex uh you know uh thing but um, there isn't an alternative out there, and it's because they've built this partnership ecosystem uh, with Apex, their proprietary language. So it's a, I think Salesforce is a closed source example of yeah. the same premise that you're talking about. Um, and, uh, 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 you know, anyway. But, it, it, but it, they are, there was always a benchmark when I was creating Connecti. Uh, uh, Salesforce was obviously the benchmark on how 
to create an ecosystem or a, a, a language that will allow you to uh, uh, customize or create custom, custom functionality on the top of a product. So I was, I'm a believer that the end goal, uh, better than creating just a, a solution, is to create a platform. Then other people can create different solutions on top. And that's what Rocket Chat is. is, is the, the, uh, the target is much more to create the platform for people. There's so many different problems to solve with communication. It's slightly different use cases, different ways to organize the, 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 the people that are talking and who is talking to who and how the channel works. And uh, we have customers that are running uh, online events. It's a completely different uh, flow of who can talk to who and where and how they can reach each other. Then we have customers running servers for first responders on in US, like the, the Department of Homeland Security and having uh, police departments and fire departments and, and then uh, 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 different uh, uh, municipalities working together and then they have a rocket chat so you can talk to, it's a totally different flow of information and channels. And we rocket chat as a company would never be able to think about all those different verticals of what is the flow and how they work and what is the rules, who can talk to who. And, but if we build a good platform that is flexible enough that people can build all those use cases for communication on top of it, we can be the platform. We can charge for the engine, for the for the uh, uh, scalability, for the, the all these other things on that is on the on the lower layer. Then people can build uh, a very efficient tool for different problems. That's why I love platform the platform building stuff, and that's I think is the end game for us. Uh, I want to switch gears to our last uh, large, I guess, topic, and then. You know, wrap up with the usual rapid fire that we do. But uh, you know, I, I think that the first time that we partner, uh, it was in a seed extension, and now you've raised a pretty substantial Series A, uh, where you know, we were speaking almost daily for for a long time about it. You know, but it was I think I think it was one of the most beautiful outcomes. You know, uh, there were multiple multiple competing term sheets from incredible firms at the same time uh, wanting to lead the Series A. And uh, what what have you learned in terms of actually raising capital? Because you know you were in a in a you've you've earned the right by the sheer value of the, your brilliance and your competence by having someone like Harry in your life offering you a term sheet over lunch with a napkin, uh, and then you know we connected, and then there was this whole other round, and you know and he came in again and and so forth and. Uh, um, and then, you know, I, I feel like this uh, uh, Series A was the first one where uh, it took more work, right? Like, just yes. like, and more preparation. It wasn't as, uh, uh, I think everyone involved was very nice and friendly, but it was it was a completely different vibe than, than, than the other rounds. So um, what changed for you? What have you learned? Uh, you know, going from uh, pre-seed to Series A, and not just any Series A raising. The total round size was at the end was eighteen million, or what was the total round size? It was 19, 19 million. 
19 million. Like, so yeah, what yeah. what have you learned? You know, by raising a 19 million dollar Series A with multiple competing term sheets. It's yeah, there are a lot. <laughs> I, uh, one thing was this uh, uh, even the dynamics of putting things together and getting the the, the even like the timing. Uh, what I've learned a lot, and even I think a lot from you as well, was that first we should start with the funds that we we have to try to be ready to do all, uh, all the presentations and all those things in a short period. Because if you excite people enough that they want to invest, you want to keep a momentum. And if you try to do this over a long period, obviously the first people you lose their momentum. So there was a, a, a we went a little bit through this where the some of the first investors that we talked about that we we wanted uh, uh, got engaged very early on, but we didn't feel comfortable enough to give them a final word before we could hear from everybody else and understand uh, what else was available to us. So trying to. Uh, build maybe all the data room and presentation and everything, get that ready so you can comprise all the presentations and talk on a short period of time so you can keep the momentum with everybody you like every, and everybody you talk to. Uh, it was, uh, it, it's a very valuable uh, learning. And, and, and another one was that sometimes founders will underestimate their their power but like their leverage right and uh because we are doing these we are doing this most of founders are going to be they're going to be doing their series a for the first time i think obviously there is like serial founders they're going to be like maybe the second third time and that's, that's going to be a completely different uh, conversation but every most founders are going to they're the first time they're going through this process so uh, we overweight like the importance of like everything, uh, and then we 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 hear everything as the fa at face value, right? Like you say that something's important for the VC, they it, oh I I need to get this. This is my number. This is my that, and and I don't know if maybe for me it was hard to distinct what is negotiation ta tactics. To what is sometimes uh, uh, real or, or, or honest uh, uh, restrictions, right? So it's that's that's a challenge, and I find that more often than not, uh, uh, VCs have done maybe like 10, 20, hundreds of of Series A's conversations. They were they 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 uh, they, ha they are trying to negotiate and doing the best uh, to get to that uh, point, to, to their position. But uh, um, a lot of times I think the founder doesn't realize that they have more leverage than they, 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 they think they do. Yes. Well, in the end, you're their customer, right? So, you know, I think it's uh, it's funny. I mean, you, you've touched on a few points that are, are, are very important here. So, you know, number one is the importance of having a well-balanced funnel 
and yes. thinking about stages. You have to treat it as a sales pipeline and, and build uh, a, a, a list. You start uh, with with the, lead, the, the the the. Sometimes you uh, you start with the the VCs that you you don't think are the best fit, or because you need to to get your pitch right, you need to to learn with the questions. So you 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 start with the the, the things that have a lower uh, uh, probability for for having a, a, a end results and then you build up your strength and your skills as you go through and then the, the, you leave the guys you really like for later but if you cannot open a big gap because all the no's also have a i don't know you you obviously if you do it properly and you have a big list you're gonna receive more no's than yes right if you have even if you have a hundred if you get a 20 term sheets out of 100, I think it's already a big win. <laughs> but you received 80, 80 no's uh, and you have to be mentally prepared to understand there's nothing personal and, and you will have to learn from those no's. So you, you make the no's in the beginning so you're ready for the yes, uh, but also in a way that you don't uh, uh, you don't, uh, don't go crazy trust. with the no's. Yeah, you don't lose trust. And then start. So it's 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 a it's a interesting dance, uh, and planning helps a lot. So that's something that I learned for you. Like build a pipeline, plan the sequence right, try to concentrate them all in a short period of time, so you can have your high energy and high spirit uh, uh, at that point, and the negotiations would not. You're not going to have to stretch negotiations because you're waiting for answers from something someone else. Uh, you created the FOMO, which works in humans <laughs> in every everywhere. <laughs> Bloody humans works in the fear of missing out is universal. Uh, but don't be cocky and don't 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 try to to to, to because investors are a clever bunch. <laughs> like if if you are. Don't be asked. Don't 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 lie. Don't don't try to pretend that you're more than you are. But uh, uh, you you can build a, 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 a true fear of missing out if you're saying like I'm actually talking to a hundred things. I actually have like different term sheets. You know, I lying is the worst case. It, it, that's that's gonna lie. Put you on the path that you don't want to be. Like that's, I think, is the oh, worst. Yeah. It will come by. I always yes. and you can be unmasked very fast because oftentimes you know people work together. Uh, you know, I, I for me at least. Uh, there are back channels that you don't even know about. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Back channel. Everyone backs channel. Back channels with 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 everyone and um, having uh, raised money at. Uh, you know, at, at, at my previous firm at 1VC, I was the number one fundraiser for the fund. And uh, now with Atman, with everything we've been raising so far, it's uh, it's fascinating because uh, you just come of a place of uh, more uh, maturity and fortitude and discipline. Uh, you're also very comfortable with, uh, with rejection. You also, you know, ultimately, there are types of investors that now... You, you understand uh, that it's not personal, right? The rejection... Oh, yeah, it's I mean, not even it's not even an opinion about your success. It's just maybe there are things that is not a match, and that's okay. 
Yes. The only thing that I think is important is, you know, reject me fast. <laughs> so I just don't waste my time and your time. Uh, I used to think that um, I try to be as sophisticated and as thoughtful as possible on the nose uh, because we are always saying 99% of the time we're saying no's. I also, I don't care if I get, I, all I want is an answer. What I, what I think annoys me within the process is when you, when you don't get an answer. Uh, that's the only situation where it becomes very difficult because it's mysterious for everyone. But if you just get a fast no, then it's, uh, it's, it's, it, I think it's totally acceptable. The other aspect of a uh, fundraising, aside from starting from the top disciplined funnel, right? You said here, don't overthink about the importance of everything. You know, sometimes you don't even know what's happening on the other side, why you're being uh, rejected. Um, be very, very prepared and plan ahead uh, is, is, is important. And then, but I think learning how to enjoy the process as well and enjoy the journey versus feeling like, oh, this is a painful thing or a distraction. It's actually one of the most important parts of the game. Um, about everything, right? I, I'm even finding this about uh, growing the company. There's so many more conflicts and stuff that I have to solve in the beginning. You're like, would get me deep into like, fuck, what, what is this new kind of problem that we're having? Or like, like politicians. But if you understand, okay, this, and if you start to, to, to learn how to enjoy that part and, 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 uh, uh, uh how to learn from it and grow from it, everything gets a lot easier. If you turn something into a game, I think that's the, the key point. If it, in a good sense of a game, like if you turn something into a growing experience, then you're gonna learn from it, you're gonna try assumptions, everything gets easier. So, uh, and, and, and fundraising is not, is not, uh, not different. That's right, that's right. Uh, the best metaphor that I would say, how does it feel? Uh, you know, with, you know, it's the, I mean, the biggest, I've, it was ever 42 million a year and a half, basically, uh, it wasn't by myself, right? Like I had other partners, uh, at the firm, but, uh, but having raised most of it is, uh, for, for, for at least for the core fund, it's it, the way it fuses is that it's like you're chewing glass for breakfast and as the glass perforate your gums and you taste your own blood in the morning, you smile. Uh, but you learn that in the end you're smiling still. <laughs> it might not be a little that pleasant in the beginning, but you kind of get over it, you know. Uh, very good. Um, yeah, so rapid fire questions basically. So we wrap it up. Um, it's been uh, go for it. Almost uh, two and a half hours. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, you know, what is a, you know, in your opinion, Gabriel, uh, an ideal uh, morning routine that kind of sets your day up for success? in theory when i do exercise but i can <laughs> but what really puts me in a good mood is like when my kids come to my bed and jump over me and <laughs> and then i look around they have my my daughter and my kid my my son and my wife and everybody waking up together and one pushing the other to the side it's that's uh, uh usually a good morning uh routine that puts me in a good mood that's great uh, what is uh, something that you've started doing recently that significantly improved your life? Could be something you bought or a new habit that you took. Um, I was, in theory, I bought some workout routines, but I, can, I cannot uh, 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 state their results 
because so far it's just like uh, oh uh, intermediate fasting uh, that that gave me some real results uh, I and and stopped uh, drinking coffee which we were talking about this earlier yes but uh, I always feel there was a, a, a coffee would dictate my routine might dictate a lot like, and I have to have a coffee when I wake up and then half an hour later I have to have a second coffee to keep me awake and um, and it's like fuck I have to do everything has re revolve around having a coffee around what if I stop so I've I've tried to do a cold turkey uh, that's how you say right cold turkey yeah, cold turkey uh, <laughs> and and uh, it was hard for the first quarter but uh, now I just don't have this need to have a coffee in the morning anymore and and that's uh, I don't miss it I like now I like tea I'm, I became I finally became a true British <laughs> <laughs> amazing I hope one day to be as evolved as you I continue to be highly dependable <laughs> on uh, caffeine stimulation uh, one day uh, but uh, what's your biggest fear biggest fear uh, it's a new one after becoming a parent is not being able to to care for your for your kids because you get to a point where you, you know that you'll be okay you, you you're gonna you, you you can survive with almost nothing and 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 i've and i don't know uh, uh but when you have other people that depend on you i think that becomes your biggest fear to make sure that they will be the, to provide for them, I, and I think I think most parents would 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 uh, get to this point. I know that my wife also has also the first thing is you care for your kids more than anything else in the world. Uh, so this uh, this is this is a traditional Peter Thiel question. Basically, if there's something that you think that's true that most people don't agree with you, one thing that I think is true to most. Well, one 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 thing is is easy. Uh, uh, most people in this world are pretty religious, oh, yeah. and I, for one, so most people don't, would not agree with me. I don't think there is much after these lives, and I don't think it's much uh, beyond what we see here. And I, I don't define material world in a very uh, uh, limited sense, uh, I think uh, uh, we have definitely proof of things that are immaterial, like consciousness, consciousness, and relationships, and those stuff. There's more, more to do with the world than that we that we don't know. But I definitely don't believe in like higher minds or or powers, reaching. Uh, setting up rules or having uh, expectations of us so one thing that i believe is that that's all that is that we're living now and that we should make the most of it and then we uh, if you look on the way we evolve and the things that give us pleasure uh and make us fulfill, make feel fulfilled it's about how we relate to people and, and, and reconnections we have. We are uh, uh, the type of being that needs to be connected. And I think that's 
very scientific. That's very physical. That's very provable. Um, and so I've I've kind of have this. Some people look at me and say, "Oh, you are a little bit religious," but uh, no, I think it's very scientific. I think there's very there's a very it's very true about the nature of the human beings, how we evolved to be into being uh, social and uh, uh, collaborative beings. We are. How can anyone expect the type of monkeys that we are? Very weak, very not muscular, very uh, and dominate the world. If it was not for collaboration, and and uh, and collaboration comes with the sense of being. So I think it's very natural. Uh, we, so I don't believe in supernatural, but at the same time believe that belonging and relating to people it's it's the most important thing you can have. Yeah, you are the most uh, spiritualized atheist I have ever met. <laughs> Just so for the for the record. <laughs> I, I heard that before, and then yes. I, I'm, I, uh, I'll take that as a, as an honor, a uh, batch of honor. That's great. Uh, that's a perfect, uh, a perfectly <laughs> fine answer, and we'll we'll stop there. Otherwise, we'll be here for another four, four or five hours. Uh, but, uh, uh, and then uh, you know, the last thing is just: if, is there a company right that you wish that you have founded, either that has been founded before, or something that if you were not working on Rocket Chat, you're like, huh, I think I'd like to, you know sell coconuts in a, in a beach in Thailand or something like that? Uh, I think a company that I, that I admire and I like what they're doing is, and, and I mentioned a few times here, and I have a profound admiration for, for Titsi from, from GitLab. Uh, I, I think what they're doing is enabling the digital world in, a, in, in some cool ways, and I think the way he's doing is, is uh, admirable. Uh, and I've yeah, it's, it's 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 I think my my benchmark for a lot of things that I that I that I do, um, and I've missed a person that has passed away recently, which I was totally I didn't ever never met in person, but it, it touched me. Was uh, Tony Shea. I think like uh, his book about like the 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 delivering happiness. Was the my first very first audiobook. I felt in some ways a connection with him because I believe a lot of things that he was talking about, and and really felt uh, uh, he was on to something. But uh, uh, never met the guy, and uh, uh, but I felt that it shaped the way I, I look into things about re reading his books and put me on a path that is also uh, took me here. That's great. Yeah, that book also, it was one of the first business books I read as well. And it really, uh, it transformed the way I, uh, I think I even called as Apple support way before the, like the Amazon acquired. Like, <laughs> just to check. Just to check. Was, yeah, I was like, can you try to order a pizza? No one cares. <laughs> and, no, I did. I did. I was like, hey, can I actually order a pizza? Uh, I'd love traffic directions. Uh, can you help me out with this? And they were super nice about it and laughing wow. and like, oh, you're not the first. <laughs> That was something that I would be curious about. How many people did that? Like, it would be interesting <laughs> to measure the number of calls to the uh, Zappos customer support after the release of the book. Because some people were like, really? Okay, I'm going to try that out. Like, I can imagine at least a couple of thousand people have might have had that idea. And, and do that. <laughs> I was living in London, so I didn't try to do that. <laughs> yeah, I always appreciate good tactical diligence, I guess. But... <laughs> The, the, and I, I had the opportunity to meet him a couple of times. Uh, 
uh, at uh, South by um, which was an event that he usually uh, uh, you know, frequented and, uh, when I heard about the story I was uh, profoundly sad I wasn't close to him but I interacted with him socially a few times and um, he uh, was a very shy guy it was so interesting because there was this whole creative burning man crazy psychedelics you know type uh, towards him to him this whole side uh whereas also like he also had that like strong you know shy uh asian immigrant type of like you know uh, a vibe uh it was interesting how that uh, it was a, it was a combination and the more that you read about it i think the wall street journal did a great work on uh, covering the mm -hmm. whole situation um you see how uh, sad uh you know th this this whole thing was because ultimately he was just surrounding himself with terrible people uh and and yeah. that's when you realize like the whole thing about money doesn't bring you everything and maybe the ultimate it shouldn't be like the financial value like he had all the financial success you could expect for and then still like something else was missing and he went array because of because of that so uh it, it's it's a tricky it's a trick situation you have to find your north star and have like the, the, hold on to the values from from uh, that that brought you there. Uh, I remember we were talking about the whole thing because when it happened, uh, uh, I think we met a few times and, and talk about this. It's it's uh, it's a, a eye-opening uh, event, right? Um, in the sense, someone that had so much success still wasn't fulfilled and was led to the, him to that path yeah well i think we can uh can add on that note you know just like uh, we can continue to be playing our we, game we, let's, of, let's try to find a, a more positive note one last positive note <laughs> no it is a positive one because in the end right like how many times you yes. talked about the importance of your family and your kids and the fact that's like you know we're here playing long-term games sharing the same values and principles and then uh, uh money is just as like other consequence right it's not it's not about that um and not everyone plays most that definitely way. But uh, so I actually see it as a very positive note, and you know, in the indeed, end, indeed, indeed, indeed. I, I, I think I'm so glad. Like I, I met you, uh, and then the, so I'm so glad I met uh, other people along this journey. Uh, even the guys like Sitsi from GitLab that didn't work out. Even the guys who were present only for a short period of time, like Harry, and I learned so much of him. Uh, uh, with like. People who are now on the long term, like with Vanessa, you, Caillou, and people who are now joining the team, like Dylan, like on the board, and uh, some some people on the team, like it's it's such an incredible journey. And I think there was a conversation that Monashis allowed us to have with uh, um, Steve Ozniak uh, from obviously <laughs> from Apple. Uh, <laughs> And then he he said something during the conversation with the founders, and he said, "There's nothing more adventurous and 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 challenging and fun than starting than a startup, than being part of a startup." Uh, and that was I, I wrote his quote, and he was sad at. And then I told and then I told the guy from she's like, "This is an amazing quote," and it's like someone should turn this into a t-shirt. Uh, but uh, it almost like glues together what Sitsis said about like maximize for interestingness. 
it glues together together the fact that I, the vision that I have. I can see so many parallels between being a parent and people, my kids following my examples and not what I tell them to do. They just do what I do. Uh, and when I start up, it's the same thing. You, it's such an opportunity to grow because you're going to have a mirror hold to yourself all the time, but from everyone that works for you, right? They will, they're not going to do it and tell them to do it. They're going to copy your, your behavior. They're going to understand that, that because that's what human beings do. That's the kind of monkey that we are. We are, we are, we are a social monkey that cops behavior and, uh, and tries to, 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 to conform and be part of something and they will adapt to it. So maybe that's a, a summary of everything on, on the end. Find purpose, lead by example, and have fun along the way. That's all that are the things that matter. Beautiful. Talk about ending on a positive note. Gabriel, <laughs> thank you for being a part of the Ineffable Podcast. Uh, as always, uh, you know, it was a pleasure. Uh, a pleasure being here with you. Obrigado. <laughs> Obrigado. Thank you so much. All right. All right, this is a wrap. What a wonderful conversation we, we had today with, with Gabriel. It was uh, very uh, inspiring and illuminating in, in many ways. I hope that uh, you also got uh, some of the uh, phenomenal insights that I managed uh, to, to get uh, uh, from it. Specifically also when it comes to self-reliance, determination, and what makes a founder unique and successful during their journey. Pleasure to be recording this from, uh, you know, this uh, gorgeous uh, sunset here in Northern California, right by Muir Woods, and uh, which was one of my favorite places on earth. Hope to see you soon in the next uh, inevitable episode. You can always find us on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere else that you get your, your podcasts. Thank you for listening.